Hello, and broadcasting from the beautiful central coast of California, it's the Dr. Death Danger Radio Show! Crack open a cold one. Hot slurping action. You know it was not a fucked hot day. That I could say. That's true. I think it was actually really chill. I was like, uh, did you work today? I thought you said you worked today. No, no, I'm off. I was off. Do you work on Thursday? Uh, no. Oh, that was good. All right. I guess the show's about to start. <laughs> How's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Triple D Radio Show with your host and boys, James and Edward. Edward, what's popping? Tell oh. us what's on the show today. How's it going, everybody? I'm Edward. So we've... We've got a real classic for you lined up. First is we're going to, of course, get to Bone Steel's Hot or Not, which... The weekly Hot or Not. Did he? Yes, did he, he sent one. Good. Then... We're, we don't have to we don't have to sit here waiting. <sighs> is he going to send one? <clears throat> God, is he going to send one? Oh, <laughs> God. Oh, God. Why did I, like, ask late? Oh, yeah, right. I kind of forgot because I, like, had to work today and most of my day was driving. Not that today. We're not, not doing that today. And then secondly, for the classic album review, and we're really stretching that term classic for this one, we have, um, well, you want me to say it or do you want me to wait till we get to it? No, you can say it. Okay. So my, so James tasked our number one fan, aka my mom, to hit us up with a really crappy glam album from back in the day. Because I had fun just wreck, uh, just shit talking uh, Skid Road albums. Yeah. I'm like, you know what? I'm still like down for this ride. Let's ask your mom who lived through the 80s, give us a shitty fucking record to listen to. And she decided to hook us up with... Kiss's 1983 epic, Lick It Up. Which I could say, good job, Deanne. You found something fucking terrible. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh man. I, I, I'm going to just save everything for that. Hey, and then our main event. time stamps. Yeah. And then our main event is Wrestling with Shadows, the Bret Hart story. I don't know if that's actually a subtitle, but it's the Bret Hart documentary. Uh, it is a straight up documentary about Bret Hart, but most people I've talked to when they think of this, they mostly are just like, oh, dude, this is such a great look into the screw job, which, yeah, the Montreal screw well, job yeah. is part of it, but it's, it is first and foremost a documentary about Bret Hart. And it's really interesting, really fascinating, but goddamn, do you feel bad for Bret Hart at the end of this movie? Yes. <laughs> Big surprise. Big surprise. And Vince McMahon it, comes off looking like a total cock. Oh, yeah. It's an awesome documentary, which listeners, I will repeat again. There is timestamps in the description if you ever just want to skip forward into the show. You that, that's totally fine. If we ever get merch, that's going to be our first shirt. It's going to say, it's going to say uh, Triple D Radio, and then it's going to say, we have timestamps, exclamation point. We have time Timestamps! Exclamation! <laughs> All right, you got uh, anything you want to share with uh, your life before we actually start the show? Saw the Black Rosa the two days ago. No, yeah, yeah, was it? I know you told me about you told me about it before we recorded. But is there yeah. something you want to uh, share specifically for the show? Well, the opening band was pretty cool. It was a trio of dudes. It was called like the Levar Devon Triplet or something. They were from 
uh, Seattle, Washington. They were an instrumental uh, group. They had they, they were cool. They had like some cool like funky vibes to them. Uh, but they kind of like have you ever heard Green Onions by uh, Booker T and the MGs? Imagine that mm. kind of music. Mm, okay. Uh, they were fun and Black Crows. I've seen Black Crows once when I was like 14 at the Fillmore in San Francisco. They always ended their tours there. My dad has seen Black Crows. The last time he remembered, uh, we're talking close to 20. He loves this band. He saw them on every tour. And on this one, they're specifically celebrating the 35th anniversary of their first record, Shake Your Money Maker. Uh, and yeah, Black Crows are kind of a, uh, I've talked to James about this before, they're kind of a legend ahead of their time in some respects, because you know how today there's a whole bunch of bands out there where they have like that quote unquote retro old school throwbacky rock sound. Uh, Black Crows were doing that in the late 80s, which really stood out from the time if you think about what was popular back then. You know, all the hair metal, the rise of hip hop. And then if you were in the underground, you had your sick thrash and death shit. And then there's the Black Crows going yeah, like the Black Crows. Then you had the Black Crows going like hard to handle now. Uh, but yeah, it was fun. Hold on hand now. Chris Robinson was kind of Vince Kneeling it sometimes. Hold on hand So like, for instance. Was it like that? Well, it kind of goes like this. He was kind of Vince Kneeling, David Lee Rothing it. Vince, Lee, Vince Neal and David Lee Roth do this thing where they will sing the lyrics, but they don't sing them how you're expecting to. So like, for instance, let's take Dr. Feelgood, because that's an easy one, right? Yeah. So it's like. Uh, get, we so the lyrics the go like, So the lyrics like this. They're like, rat tail Jimmy, he's a secondhand hood, deals down Hollywood. Okay, Vince Neal now would sing it something like, rat tail Jimmy, secondhand hood, deals down in Hollywood. Like, like that. Partially because he's, you know, fat. Oh, out God, of breath. yeah. But yeah, David Lee Roth does the same thing. Like, uh, like, like with Jump, it's supposed to be, I get up and nothing gets me down. David Lee Roth, when instead go, I get up and nothing gets me down. That kind of thing. He was doing that with I a lot get of the up. And don't get me down. So they were doing that. He was doing that kind of stuff, which kind of bothered my dad because he really loves their songs, especially she talks to angels. Um, and that he leans over to me. He's like, I think he forgot some of the words. I think he forgot some. Of but uh, yeah, uh, fun show, though. Overall, they're a good rock and roll band. I bought a shirt. Uh, it's actually the first. Um, is this recording? Yes, I brought it up of Vince Neil singing. Oh, no, did you find live footage of new of a uh, recent Motley Crue? Mm-hmm. Uh let's see this. Well, let's let's hear this, people. Okay, you'll have to ju- you'll have to skip ahead. Are you sure? Never mind. Leave it. <laughs> <laughs> Do they go on this forever? <laughs> right. Vince, why? Uh, oh my god! Like, okay, that's not too bad. Oh, but hit me yeah. here. We here we go. Here we go. Uh, let's hear this, people. Gosh, I totally forgot how pathetic it is. <laughs> So not that bad, but similar realm. Like, Chris Robinson, you could tell, remembered all the words. He just wasn't singing them in the cadence. Like that. That's what he was doing. I hope not that horrible. No, not that horrible. That was like the realm. He was the best. He's Chris Robinson is better than Vince Neil. 
Oh my god. How did Jimmy Town? Okay, we don't need any more. Jimmy of that. Town, James. Oh my god. But yeah, no, that was that's what I did. That was really cool. Uh, for me personally, it's hard to say. Well, I did play a pretty fun show over the weekend. It was for my. Oh, uh, did you? It was my punk band's uh, t- tape release show. Well, we said tape release show, which that gave us a motivation to hammer out and finish our last recording, which is out. If you do want to check it, the band is called Discrimination, but With the spelling two K's. It, the, yeah, the spelling's kind of fucked, but. That's what makes it punk, you guys. Yeah, that makes it more like, yeah, we listened like friggin' we listen to Scandinavian DB, bro. Come on, (laughs) but to add unnecessary letters and oontlons to things. But yeah, friggin', yeah, we like dropped a tape. It's called fuck. What is it called? Sorry, I'm just like (laughs) trying to look at my like old stuff. I was listening. It's like, oh yeah, I listened to Three Six Mafia and Gucci Mane, and then some friggin' Super Euro beat. The hell are you doing listening to Gucci Mane? Dude, that's what the friggin' Stee homies are listening to. I see. I'm just saying, like real punk rockers, you guys. Dude, some real like straight up 805 Hesher Stee homies on the friggin'. (laughs) On that shit. Oh, fuck. Where is it? Oh, yeah, you're right. Our, our tape was, uh, we have uh, released, like, actually last Monday was uh, No Hope Today, No Peace Tomorrow. Which That's a cool I'm, name. I'm pretty, t- I'm pretty proud of the tape, how it came out. I'm pretty stoked. There was a lot of good work into it, and it seems like it's positive and stuff. That's well, a cool I, name. Reminds like, me of Suicidal. Yeah. Bringing, we got a show lined up on the twentieth with the big Steve homies at the big old gr- at the grindhouse. It's gonna be nutty McFuddies and stuff. We're just like mad jokes of plenty. But yeah, I played that show. Ed and I's band, uh, Wizard, uh, did a surprise appearance without Ed because he was off with his uh, birthday present to his dad, seeing the Black Crows. Yeah, having a quality father son time. Yeah, and his uh, dirtbag uh, bandmates just go. Oh hey, uh, if there's enough time, uh, maybe we could uh, play uh, a couple songs. Oh yeah, we should uh, totally do that, right? Yeah, come on, let's uh, go do that. And yeah, I like told Edwards like, dude, you miss Wizard playing because you're like Wizard's number one fan. Oh yeah, I'm a real big fan, James. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I've been with you guys since day one. I'm a I. That was the first show I ever missed of you guys's. Yeah. I'm the bassist, by the way, in case I don't, if we've never brought it up on the show. Yeah, we jam music together. I'm a pretty good bassist, don't if I say so myself. I'm a, don't worry, it was a bullshit set. We uh, The guitar player was like, hey, do we uh, play a new song? You, let's play the song where like I don't have lyrics to. Why? Can we play a song I have lyrics when to? Because when good friend Dylan feels motivation, he feels it at the most inconvenient of times. And I'm like, sitting there, it's like, fine. I'll fucking make up some fucking bullshit lyrics, which I did, which then bite me in the ass. Because then when we actually played a song, I do have lyrics to. In the end, some ladies started getting on the mic and started spitting out bars. Yeah, it was a low key hilarious. But you said the energy was good and the vibes were. Oh good. yeah, no, the energy was. I like, told you, bro. Ta- TW, we got big dick energy. Damn. The right. kids like us. Jake wish it. We're more popular with the kids than good friend Bone Steel. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. We play shows that the well, he would see it as a bad thing. Oh yeah, so you remember fucking Scar? Of course. Yeah, just fucking out of yeah. So this crazy black metal chick that uh, so like metalheads go like, dude, she's the most metal chick, and I'm like, yeah, that's actually more of a problem than an actual good thing. Mm -hmm. To be honest, like this is a lady that uh, one time I remember at a band practice, he like she was uh, took my guitar player's cousin that was hanging out there. Oh yeah, and she asked him, "Hey, you want to get high?" And he's like, "Hell yeah, I want to get high." 
And he's like, she's like, all right, stay in here. I'm going to align you with the moon. And then she, she whipped out crystals and started going. <sighs> trying to get him high. There's also the show you guys played once. I think you're in the band where uh, during Nocturnal Awakening, which was a blackmail project uh, where she cut herself uh, on stage. Yes. And she did that often. Yes. In fact, I think people got concerned because she was leaking like way more blood than she thought. Didn't she go to the ER for that? I think she had to get stitches on one cut. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She got herself real good. But, you know, black metal. For true cavalt. Yeah. Well, just out of nowhere today, she just goes, hey. And I wrote down, what's good? Period. <laughs> not, not a question mark. Period. Badass base rig I got here. Just the right size for a garage. I wrote down, what? And then she racks with turkey leg. And then turkey leg, turkey leg. I'm like, okay, what about it? And then she just wrote down, Court Story Swamp Stalker. That CD's really badass, too. I wrote down, thanks. I prefer our live tape. A great interaction with weird-ass You're fucking You're so people. good at socializing, James. Uh, I'm good at... Yeah, sure. There again, what are you supposed to do with turkey leg, turkey leg, turkey leg? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like sitting there, like, what the fuck? <laughs> And it was literally me. I was like, well, fine. If you want to be like weird, I'll be fucking passive, aggressive weird. How about that? Huh? Was that like that one time she, uh, when we were still at your old house, um, I went there to record or something and she was just like there. Well, was I there? No, you weren't. I, I, th- I know I told you about this. this was years ago. Oh my God. I got there and she was just there and she was like, hey, what's up, dude? And I'm like, oh, hey, what's up? And then, yeah, because wasn't there something about gear or something or or like we owed them some gear? We were borrowing their gear. Here's Do you remember thi- that? Here's the thing. You bought a base rig. Did you buy that base rig from Tori? Oh, I remember this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I bought the base. I bought the. It was like a PV base rig from Tori. Yeah, you got it like dirtbag cheap. It was a dirtbag rig. And it was like, I guess it was their rig. Yeah. That's right. He sold it either without their permission, unknowingly or knowingly, whatever, because her and Tori had a falling out. Yeah, I remember that was a big old headache. That's right. And what was that peaking? Don't that was nothing. Uh, but she, uh, yeah, she showed up one time and she was just there chilling because I don't know if she was there to steal it or what. But yeah, I went there one time and she was just there, and I think it was related to that. And you're like, uh, okay. I'm like, uh, and then James I was in the home right now. Can you go? <laughs> I didn't say that, but I was there to record. So. Yeah, you're like, uh, are you supposed to be here? And then you like told me, and I was like, wait, why the fuck is Scar there? <laughs> what? Yeah. Oh my god. And she left before you got back. I was gonna try I to like I, keep her I there. I contact like friend at the time, Scott. I'm like, hey, can you cruise by? Hey, are uh, you up to anything right now? I was like, no. Hey, can you cruise by my pads? Probably Scar's is rambling there. And that's what Ed told me. He's like, what? Yeah, I could do that. And, he, and then I don't know if he like came in and he's like, Scar here is like. She was, but then she left. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I, I don't remember because I remember, I remember, I remember old friend Skeet. I don't remember if he saw her or not, but I do remember she for sure dipped before you came home. Yes, it was really, really weird. And I was like, wait, what? But at least she did nothing. She, she just, did nothing, but that's still fucking creepy. Especially oh my god! Especially because that was good friend Thomas's bedroom too at the time. Yes. So she was just like chilling there on his bed, you know. It's like. Oh, hey. And I don't know if she even mentioned about the base rig. And I'm like, wait, what's up with the base rig? Mm-hmm. I eventually like got in contact with them. I'm like, okay, I'll drop this off because I don't want Scar coming around here. Which was bullshit because I not on you, but I did. Pay, it was mine. I paid for it. And Tori never got me the fucking money back. Uh, that guy. 
don't. This is why we don't. This is one of the reasons, like four and five out of like eight hundred, why we don't like metal peeps. Oh my god, fuck! <laughs> I think that right there already says it. Two words before we move on. Ben Maxwell. Ben Maxwell. All I can say, this was a guy supposedly one time. He's like, yeah. So how I I remember one time I went to this ocean. I started swimming around, oh, and dolphins came around me, and I got and that gave me inspiration to write lyrics because I was swimming with dolphins. And we're going, wait, what? One of my favorite ones he said was he would eat. He was a big fan of dragon fruit. And he used to get it and stuff. And no one around here really sold dragon food, like drinks or with smoothies, whatever. But he said, and well, after a while, after I began eating things and talking to people about it, then all of a sudden, all these other places start start eating, start serving dragon fruit drinks. I'm like, got it. But this is the same guy that before he would do his solo black metal project live, he would get, he very openly and proudly, he said, I like to, before each show, I like to get a full body massage. Yep. I remember one time he had to set up a show. You all can't see me, but I have my hands on my hips. That's how he stood all the time. He would like look off into the distance like he's Captain Morgan or Superman. He'd have his hands on his hips while he was talking about everything he would talk about. Yes. <laughs> and I remember one time he had to like, he he was, uh he put together a show and obviously he's like the main dude, so we're trying to set up oh, and stuff. Yeah. But then he had to dip out because like I had to get myself a full body, body massage. massage because I am performing a set tonight. Yes. He yeah. left his own show. Yeah. And there was a point where we're like, uh, what's going on? Where are we doing? Where what's this supposed to go? And we're just like Tori's like, I don't know, it's Ben's show. We're like, where the fuck's Ben? And then I forget who, but someone's like, Oh, he went out to get a massage. We're like, what? And he Wait, comes what? We're like, what? And then he comes back and he's like, Oh yes, I have returned from my full body massage. Dude, I swear local black metal. Their nerds. mom was cool though. Yeah, she was tight. All right, let's get into hot or not. Yeah. All right. All right, then let me get up good friend Jake and then see what he has uh, said for today. All right, here's the hot or not. Preferably watch the video. It's for the boys at P. Roach. Fuck. That's Papa, Papa Roach. Unaware. In uh, 2022? Swerve, and it features uh, Fever333 and oh, never mind. fucking uh, Swaco. So it's basically, uh, it's Papa Roach being cool, hip, TikTok dudes uh, with, you know, some of the young TikTok homies. Anyways, I think it's pretty good bop. <laughs> it shows that Papa God Roach literally has nine lives. You just can't kill this band. Check <laughs> it out. Ugh, sorry. I fucking knocked over something. I like Fever 331, but James, who the hell's You mean 333? That's what I said. Fuck you, Symbol. All right, hold it. I can... One more try. Do you want to pause? No. Okay. I can fucking talk and work at the same time. Well, anyway, I like Fever 333, uh, but James, yeah, who the hell is... like the Rage Against Machine knockoff, like, ban? Rage Against Machine didn't <laughs> have electronics. Uh, Plus, they were four dudes. All right, so... But who the hell's Swaco? Some TikTok bro. Okay. Like, I've heard the name. Never listened to anything by Swaco, but I just know he's a TikTok bro. All right. James is making... Not James. Jake is making us get all close. I know. What the fuck? Okay, here we go. Swerve. Hold it. Give it a second. I had to add running. 
Marker Tech. What the hell's Marker Tech? Why? Hold it. I'm sorry, listeners. I just need... Let me uh, close that out so that the link actually can work. Let's try again. This is somehow Jake's fault. Don't worry. Yes. All right. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Uh, so we see a dude playing on a ukulele, playing a butt rock riff. Is this taking place in East Los Angeles? Yeah, come on, Fever 3-3, bro. Come on, edgy street culture, guys. Uh, there's a lot of big, bright, flashy cars and a lot of yep. urban landscape. And then we see these, like, really bedazzled-out dudes going hard. They're really fun live. You'd have fun at their shows. No. I cringe too much at Fever 333. Why? I don't know why. Whoa. Was that the Papa, is that the Papa Roach guy? Yes. That's way cringier, especially because he's like 42. Yeah. Oh my god. This doesn't sound like Papa Roach. This is a Papa Roach song. It sounds like a Fever 333 song, but they got the Papa Roach guy guest star. Yeah. I guess Suko's the deep voice lad. I see. Do people actually like this? Well, let's look at the comments while we listen. Yes. Well, alright. Heroach has always been evolving from infest to love-hate tragedy. Getting away with murder, Paramore sessions. It's just their albums. They aren't afraid to take risks. Like, you're not wrong. Well, here's Suko. Like, you can't hear his voice. I literally am having trouble understanding him. Yes. Like, he's fine, but, like, he sounds cool and all. I can't understand a word he's saying, but he sounds cool. Like, he's like Corpse Husband's level low. Definitely not the Papa Roach I grew up with, but I can't help but admire these guys. You don't expect the song to be that good, but after listening to it a couple of times, it hits you. Dude, I'm honestly low-key bored with this song. Does Jake actually generally like this? I like the music. I mean, I feel like it's staying in one place all the time, but I like the music. I'm literally bored because it's been staying in one place. Like, the video seems more exciting, but I'm like, there's too much going on. Oh, here's the break. Oh, my God. Seriously. It sounds like old PS1 music. Oh, God. I have to freaking post it. It's so loud right now. Oh, that is a brick. Wow. Oh, that's funky. Yeah. That's like the best part of the song. Oh, and it's the end of the song. I know. Thank the Lord. Oh, my God. No. Get away. Are you ever busy dealing with groceries, James? No, I'm never busy dealing with groceries. Well, actually, technically, yes, because I have to go get groceries. Okay, so so tell me what you think of that song. Well, I liked it. I don't know if I liked it enough to give it a hot. I liked it enough to say I liked it, but it didn't really... I I don't know. The song feels like it's really more about the novelty. Like, hey, look, guys. If you grew up with Papa Roach, it's like, hey, look, guys. it's, It's one of your old favorite bands. But we're with these young guys. Isn't that neat? And it it straight up didn't sound like a Papa Roach song. It literally sounded like a fever. It sounded like a fever song with two guest vocals. But no, it's 
a Papa Roach song, I guess. Wait, is it a Papa Roach? Wait. Well, that's a, what Jake said it was. Was it a Papa Roach? And, and it was on their YouTube channel. Yes, it's Papa Roach. The song is called Swear featuring Fever 333 and yeah. Suko. Yeah. And I don't know. Like, it was, uh, it was, I, no, I don't like it enough to give it a, to give it a hot. No, I, I, I'm an instant not. I was so bored listening to that song. I liked the music and beat, but like I said, it just stayed in the same place. It did change when Swaco started rapping a little bit, but then it was just that. Yeah, I know. That's the thing out of all of it. Like Swaco, I, if I wanted to actually say something, I do enjoy of that song. It was the Swaco part. The Swaco part. Yeah. It felt less awkward with that. Like, yeah. Let that like just straightforward, boring ass beat. Well, yeah, because Swaco, his voice and his cadence worked well for that. And like modern for it. But the other guys just sounded like fucking boomers. Well, Fever 333 is all about the shouty rap stuff, but Papa Roach, that isn't really his thing. So it's all about it's totally his thing. I swear that's what the guy's been doing for the last minute. What, the Papa Roach guy? I mean, I don't know yeah. what he's up to. I'm just remembering like the four or five Papa Roach songs I was heard. I've never listened to a whole album by them, so I only know their singles. Well, and what and whatever song they did for uh Money Night Raw. Remember that one? Oh god, that's right. Wanna live it up? Whoa! So that's what I think of when I think of Papa Roach. Um, now I don't like. I feel bad giving it a knot because I liked it, but not enough to give it a hot. It's a knot. Yeah, it's just a knot for me. I'm just sitting there as like, it needed something extra. Like musically, it needed something extra. Like, well, I could just. It, just, it needed something more for me. It did need something more. About I'm more just sitting there going, was that even cool? Well, someone thought it was. I'm sure. I'm like sitting there. I don't know if it's going to light the world on fire, but. I'm like, wow, these are like the lamest fucking dorks right now. I think the music view was Except Swaco. I don't know why. I guess (laughs) Swaco was like, you don't seem like a dork, but these other two butt rock guys are just so freaking lame. Wow. That's just me. That's me. The music video was pretty cool. I mean, again, I like the Fever guys. I like their vibe. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it, it just, if it was just a fever, I probably still wouldn't have given it a hot, but if it was just a fever song with Swaco on it, I would have been like, no, yeah, this it was is, fine. No, this is but supposedly we, a Papa Roach But song. weirdly, the Papa Roach element kind of takes away from it, but that sucks because it's their song. So yeah, it, it's not hot for me. Yeah. And it's definitely not hot for me either. It's just so boring. I don't know if Jake even likes that. It sounds like he liked it. Does he? That's what he's. Are you calling Jake Bonesteel a non-truther? Yes, that's definitely that's more of a fact. Careful, you're gonna start another like four week long freaking hot or not war with him. Whatever, whatever. <laughs> As I said, like the only per, like the relevant person on there, I felt actually like did the song justice. Yeah, if I was to re-listen it to again, but I was like just so distracted and just like so bored at the same time. It's like, oh god, who likes this? Who generally likes this? I can't get into this. This is come on. No, I Maybe can't. you're just old. I'm no, I was like, dude, this is so cringy. Well, what would the uh well what do you think the uh what do you call it? What do you think the the the, the Steve boys would have thought of it? I think they would think it was booty ass too. Oh, okay. I'm like, come on, dude. Go listen to some Gucci Mane. Have some respect. Gucci Mane. You're funny. Oh I, okay. Would you listen I mean, to I don't hate Gucci Mane. I'm just, just I'm just saying, would you rather listen to Gucci Mane than that? Well, then that specific song, I mean, I guess maybe. I'm just saying, if you're like listening to that song, it's like, would you have the choice of, would you rather listen to that song or would you go listen to the random Gucci Mane? Okay, I feel like you're trying to get me to say the song sucked. I don't think the song sucked. I, I liked it. Well, I just I'm think just it was saying, good enough for a hot. Okay, but I'm just saying, would you like, you know what? I would think I would choose that song over listen to Gucci Mane. 
It's okay if you want to I mean, say I yes. guess yes. I don't... Dude, I've heard like five Gucci Mane songs. I'll just say like, dude, let me put on a Gucci Mane song. <laughs> no, don't put on a... My phone's low battery and you always want to rush through the notes that I painfully, cra- painstakingly craft. Okay, fine. I won't... No Gucci Mane running. I won't have the listeners like decide on if they prefer that song or if they threw on like a fun Gucci Mane song. But either way, all right, let me get the timestamp and then we'll do go into the CAR. Okay. All right. Let me bring up the message from our number one fan. Hopefully it's not buried. All right, here we go. And here we go. So this is the Triple D Danger Radio Show. This Triple is your D number Danger. one fan coming at you I with guess we're quad a D blast now. from the past <laughs> for a CAR this week. I was asked to pick a... A classic rock album for glam rock that I thought just wasn't that great. And uh, the album I picked comes from the year 1983. And there's several reasons why I picked this album. And it is Kisses Lick It Up. Um, in my opinion, it just pretty much me. sucked. Um, <laughs> that well, was yeah. <laughs> also the year that they came out without the makeup. It was their first album without the makeup. Yep. And they made this big spectacle on MTV and with them, not show, with them showing themselves. And uh, I remember people joking about it saying, yeah, they should just put the makeup back on. <laughs> so wow. um, I listened to the <laughs> album and kind of skimmed through it just to remember it. And in my opinion, every song sounds the same. It's not the same uh, kiss as you remember older kiss um i wasn't a huge kiss fan so it wasn't much of a big deal to me but uh in that year i had other albums i was listening to so other albums that you could have listened to instead of this was uh shout at the devil by motley crew well yeah uh, pyromania by def leppard definitely the moon by ozzy holy uh, diver by dio yeah mean street by yt yeah. and uh pantera's debut album so yeah i actually I showed her that. i actually showed her that album she liked it really good rock and roll so, i don't know i'm like, anyway i don't know you about wait, be wait, the wait. judge and uh listen to it for yourself and see if it's hot or not <laughs> well, this isn't a hot or not. This is the classic album review, but... No, she threw that in and I said, oh, Gigi. She was going to redo it and I said, oh, no, you got to leave it in. Yeah, we can leave it in. <laughs> we can have our uh, we can have our two people. To okay, co- so I have the little history background like usual when I do these. Do you want me to uh, start playing the music or... Just give me a sec. Because right. first I just want to say... Okay. Because I can finally say this. This fucking record, James. Yes. God, what a shit show. Unironically, oh. this was one of the worst records I've ever heard in my life. Oh, yeah, no, it was fucking bad. Nothing on it, with the exception of one song, had a score higher than five. There was one song here I hated so much, I gave it one out of ten. Holy fuck, what song was that? Can't one? remember the last time I gave anything lower than a four. I don't think I ever have. Damn. I think I've only ever given a, f- uh, yeah. You were in a foul mood with this record, weren't you? So, for anyone curious, Kiss is a hard rock metal band from the 70s. Fuck, really? I didn't know. And yeah, if you're into shock rock like me, they inspired a lot of shit. Whatever. Point is, um, the first two albums didn't matter. But then they pulled a Peter Frampton and pulled out a live album, made a shitload of money. 
And uh, yeah, it's it's sort of Paul Stanley's band, but from a business perspective, it's Gene's band. It's it's a whole hullabaloo. Um, I've never been super big on Kiss. A lot of a lot of musicians I look up to love Kiss. I, I'm kind of there wasn't really much to listen to. Bro, it wasn't I turn, there back then, bro. I turn into Dave Meltzer talking about Hulk Hogan when I talk about Kiss because on one hand it's like. I respect their contributions to their craft and I acknowledge they made a lot of money, but I don't like them. <laughs> so yeah, let's, uh, yeah, their whole idea was cause Gene Simmons said in an interview about this record. He's like, well, for look it up. Cause we took the makeup off. Well, people were listening up. with their ears, not their eyes. Creature, uh, oh my God. They really, he really fucked it up. They, that's his exact quote. He thought their last record creatures of the good. night. He's are awesome. He's, Take drugs. Do you really think it? Do you re, do you really believe in that shit? Creatures of the Night, their Gene previous Simmons record, voice. he actually thought was better than this record, but he said now people are paying attention. So that was the idea. Let's just take off the makeup. Let's not evolve any of our music or change with the times or evolve our writing. Let's just take off the costumes. All right, now let's get into the record. Uh, the first song is Exciter. Not the Judas Priest one either. Yeah, no. Which is way better than this one. Oh by the fuck. Way. Okay. Easy. So how do I put this? Mm. The song's kind of lame. I sort of like the driving riff it has. Makes it sound a little... I'm doing quotation marks, by the way. Hard. The chorus, if we get even get to it, it's pure 80s shit. Sounds like it was written for a Rocky movie. And I can appreciate that on Paul Stanley's songs, because Gene sings lead on some songs, too. They both try to really inject some life into these songs with their vocals, but... Uh, no, I just thought it was lame. I was not feeling this. Uh, I gave it a very, um, I gave it a very high five. Well, here's the thing for me. I didn't think the song sucked. Coming off from Skid Row and that disappointment, I'm like, okay, this song is so much better than their B song, than Skid Row's B songs. I actually thought this chorus slaps. Excited. I'm sorry. There's just a little bit of metal cheese for me to actually enjoy this song, and this the and how it was like just the driving. I was like, you know what? This isn't a half bad written song. I can enjoy this. Coming off the shitty B Skid Row songs, I don't know if this was a lead. This was a single for the song. No, there's only two singles off this record. Yeah, I'm like, you know what? I've heard worse, and this isn't boring for me. So I didn't lie. I thought this was some good cheese. I gave it a six out of ten. Now then, on to the next one. Okay. Damn it, dude. That, that chorus is so good and cheesy. I see. I, I enjoy it. Now, not for the innocent song, too. I will concede, I think, this intro here, it's kind of neat. Uh, but the problem is, then the music comes in. And then eventually the bass comes in here in a second. Yeah, but this sounds like bad Judas Priest, Def Leppard. It sounds boring. Jeez. I was more bored with the favorite with the Papa Roach song. The song is sung by Gene, and I'm not making this up. If you paid attention to the lyrics on this song, the lyrics <laughs> the lyrics are about how Kiss is some hardcore shit. We're not meant for the innocent. Oh my god. Like, wow, you're so cool. Did I? <laughs> Alright, what'd you give this song? Another five. Alright, for me, if we get to the chorus, I was like, you know what? This isn't as like as strong as Exciter, 
But I did enjoy this this build up into the chorus. Or is there a chorus? Should be right here. Yeah. I don't know why. I enjoyed the build. There it is. Yeah, they're cool. Well, they're not fucking cool. I'm just saying, this is like a bad friggin' Def Leppard Judas Priest knockoff, which I kind of enjoyed. Yeah, but I enjoy Def Leppard and Judas Priest. Yes. I I know, and I presume you fucking hate Kiss. I don't like them that much. Yes, I can see. So maybe I'm my judgment's clouded. You're going to be a clouded judgment. I was like coming in and was like, all right, how fucking horrible. And I'm like, my expectations were low. And I'm going to sit here and like, this doesn't suck. I can imagine another band doing this. Now, would it just get old real quick? Yes. I prefer Exciter, but you know what? I'll give this song a 6 out of 10. All right. Let's get into the record title. The self-title. Lick it up. All right, tell me. Come on, Angry Man. You, you fucking hate this record. Let me ask you all a quick question. What do you guys think this song's about? Nah, what is it about? It's about some sex. Yep. Okay, now I listen. I think that's all we need to say. Now listen, technically, this is a bad song. Oh, okay? no, this fucking song's horrible. This song is so bad, it's good. Like, when it comes on the radio, this when this song comes on the radio, if I have the radio on, I don't change it. In fact, you know what? I sing along to this crappy chorus. Lick it up! Lick it up! Alright, so after you hating on the first two songs, where is Lick It Up on your scale? Uh, this is the song that got a six. Although, it kinda, I kind of ruined it for myself when I thought about it. I'm listening to the last two songs. I'm listening to this song, and I'm like, I remember, I'm like, you know, there's people that go really hard for Kiss. Yes. Kiss Army. Yes. They're like the Raiders fans of rock and roll. Oh, God. And I'm just like, could you imagine, like, the dude and his wife playing this for their little baby, and they're just like, I'm raising them on real music. Oh, my God. What a fucking travesty. Uh, your thoughts? Here's the thing. It's Lick It Up. <laughs> I don't need to say much more. No. Nope, the song not. is definitely self-explanatory. I give it a 5 out of 10. The what? other two songs, the other two songs, I could take a little bit more serious because I'm like, okay, I was expecting more trash. But like, look it up, I'm like, oh, come on, this song's fucking terrible. I, if I was to be realistic and be honest, it's a 5 out of 10. But it's an 8 out of 10 what? on the cheese and meme factor. <laughs> I could always take a good laugh at this, and I could always crack a good meme joke. It's only right like, now. If I was to be serious, 5 out of 10. But 8 out of 10 on the cheese and memes. Just say. I don't know how to tell you all this. This is the best song on the record. I don't know. I think Exciter's the best song. Okay, fine. Still. That's my... Pr hey, if you prefer Lick It Up over Exciter, it's totally fine. Are you hearing this? Oh, yeah, yeah, this is why I prefer Exciter. I could take it a little bit more serious. A little more serious. All right, go to track four. All right. Young and Wasted. Yeah, so when I heard this, I'm like, okay, this is fucking bad. Like, not even Lick It Up enjoyable bad. This song. Like, Lick It Up is like, haha, lol, we could have fun with this. This is like. This song started. I'm like, all right, I turned this off. And I thought to myself, why does this sound like filler? Because that's exactly what this sounds like. I think it's the chorus that I hate, 
but because this song is really egregious on it. Uh, Paul and Gene do a lot of screaming on this record. Yes, really right li- here. <laughs> I don't really like their screaming. It's very... Well, Paul's ear- a passable vocalist. Like, here it's not too bad. It's when they actually get to the chorus. It's really ear-wrenching. It's like right after this. But I'll just say uh, the guitar solo was neat, but it's a high five from me. Here's the thing. When I heard this, I'm like, no, the song is bad and I want to skip it. Four out of ten. Yeah, here it is. This is uh, so bad. That chorus sucks, dude. Yeah, dude. That chorus that's what, sucks. Are you sure you want to give it a five out of ten? I'm saying I give it a four out of ten. This is like that chorus just made makes it even worse is it a fuck you for i don't know if it's a fuck you for but it's like you earned this for <laughs> i'll leave i'll leave my five for now okay you know that's totally fine all right what's god damn it all right now this one give me when more. this song started i thought this was the same song for a second what when this song started i thought it was the same song as the last song for a second i'm like did i leave it on repeat <laughs> So this song, when I first heard it, I mean. Hey, your mom said a lot of these songs sound like the same. This song is called Give Me More. This might surprise some of you out there. This song right here, this song's about sex. Fuck, really? Big shock, right? Oh my God. I thought it was like something else. Dude, the story for this song is, there's this hot chick that Paul's looking at. He really wants her, dude. Oh God. For the sex. Everything, it's boring. It's filler. There's like no life. Can you do me a favor? Yeah. Can you skip to two thirty of this song and just let it play for twenty seconds? Just right. trust me. Well, I'm just gonna let it play. Well, no, yeah, oh, I'm, saying, I'm saying skip to two thirty. I am getting the two thirty. Okay, cool. Yeah, what about it? Just, just give it a sec. It's right. It's. Uh, That's so bad. Oh my god. All right, what'd you give this? Five. I gave it another five, but it might be a four, but it's a five. I just wrote down. Oh, bro, we got some fucking speed metal, bro. Come on, this sounds like Judas Priest Exciter. Yeah, dude, Motorhead. But like a lot of it's just. Oh. Like this song is fucking terrible. But it's a little bit of fun. I'll give it a 5 out of 10. I didn't fucking full on hate it. God, it's so bad. Alright, next one. Why do I keep fucking pressing it to go on the Spotify page? This song's called All Hell's Breaking Loose. Oh my god, I wrote down what the fuck is this opening verse. I'll tell you what this is, because I wrote it here. Generic bar rock bullshit. Like... It's bad. I have no words. Don't you? I legit have no words for this. Like one. listeners, are you hearing what we're hearing? This is so boring and bad. This is like John Moxley's. New, this is like John Moxley's Death Rider theme. Yeah, who would but actually listen to this? No, I think it, this has got some bullshit. Listen to these fucking lyrics. Oh, I'm glad you're letting it play. Man, what be that? Why you gotta 
four out of ten. It, this is a fuck you four. This is a fuck you four. A fuck you four if I ever heard one. And you only came up with that term last week. Yes. Oh, so bad. Oh, uh, what you say? Did you want to say anything? No, I no. My exact words here were: I have no words. I was gonna say just let it play. It's bullshit. Oh God. All right, next one. A million, a million to, to one. one. Now we go from generic rock shit to when the music comes in, eighties pop shit. A generic eighties pop shit. I this was the longest four minutes of my life. This felt like they were trying to get on a soundtrack to a movie. Dude, this sounds like a Def Leppard ripoff. Yeah. This sounds like they wanted to sell some shit. This doesn't feel like... Because like the album cover is them looking all badass in leather jackets. This doesn't feel like badass in leather jackets. This feels like businessmen trying to make money. Which, fine, I don't have a problem with that. But they're trying to come off like they're real rockers. Literally all the lyrics in their songs ever, they're either talking about how dope rock and roll is, or they're talking about sex. Or maybe some weird fantasy shit. Uh, yeah. It's another four. I don't know if it's a fuck you four, but it's a four. Here's the thing. I didn't hate this. I don't mind, like, solid power ballads. Seriously, maybe because it's just a bad Def Leppard knockoff, I can accept it. It's like, if you guys are going to be a ripoff of a band, at least you're ripping off a good band. Not like Skid Row. Well, they try to well, rip off they? Guns N' well, Roses. Yeah, but that's a good band. But the yeah. thing is, like, they did it bad. It's like if you if you listen back to the reviews, half the time I'm just like, oh, this just sounds like Guns N' Roses. Yeah. This just sounds like Guns N' Roses. This just sounds like Motley Crue. They rip off two bands. This sounds like they were ripping off like three or four. Oh yeah. And you know what? As I said, I did not hate the song. I honestly thought this was pretty tight. I give it a high six out of ten. I have a little bit of soft spot for some like free and like metal cheese. Dude, it just sounds like a dude, it's like cheesy Def Leppard worship. I don't know why. I liked it. Like this doesn't suck to me. Like literally if it wasn't KISS, if this was another band, would you be hating on it as much? Actually, I'd be hating on it more. Really? Oh yeah. Kiss I at least respect as musicians and like, businessmen. Dude, like there's this, a lot of bands I've heard where I just don't like them. I'm just saying, dude, this tom like dude, the tom the tom beat right there, that sounds so Def Leppard. As I said, I couldn't hate it. I was like, you, I'm more shocked. I was like, you know what? This doesn't suck. I see. I give it a high six out of ten. That's a Def Leppard solo right there. I'll tell you that. Bro, this is just them trying to rip off Def Leppard. And I was like, I'm fine with it. There are worse songs on here. That's True. for sure. The worst is yet to come. Oh, my God. Yes. Okay. Track eight. Oh my fits. fits like a glove. Alright. This has an old school rock and roll sound to it. Fuck you. Uh, I gotta think why. I wrote down like the lyrics were total trash, but the song didn't suck. Six out of ten. What the fuck was I on? This one I might actually question what I was thinking here. They must have had a big hooky chorus or something. I just know that like a minute and a half in, Gene holds this one scream for like 15 seconds, and it just sounds awful. And I'll and I don't know. I didn't have a lot to say about it. I, I wrote here that the bridge at 2:15 is terrible. Um, I, I didn't like it. In fact, I really didn't like it. So what'd you give this song? A three. A three. I yeah. Listen to it. 
Yeah, I'm reconsidering why I give this a six out of ten. Oh, this is not a six. The most I'll say is maybe this could be a five. There must, oh my, unless the song goes somewhere. Uh, you can, you're more than free to flip through it if you want. Uh, you've got the, you've got the control. Yeah, what the fuck was I on? Oh, that's the scream I was talking about. Yeah. That's really all that happens. There's like a break and then it's. Just Well, listeners, I'm sorry if I said I was going to give that a 6 out of 10. I reconsider things, and that's a 4 out of 10. Yeah, that song's pretty bad. Except this one. Oh. This song fucking sucks. Okay, oh. here we go, everybody. Dance All Over Your Face is the name of this song. Let me tell you something. Sure. I wrote down, okay, now we're at expectations of this record. There's some songs that exceeded my expectations. I'm like, I'm, like, I'm, a, I'm at a pretty low bar. I don't suspect anything good and anything that's pseudo passable or Def Leppard ripoffish. I'm like, damn, I didn't suspect that anything good. But this here, I was like, this is the expectations I I definitely set. This song sucks. It's four out of ten for me. This is one of the worst songs I've heard in my life. Maybe I should reconsider this. Gene's yeah. rocker voice is stupid. The lyrics are stupid. Gene says bitch like twice in the song for no reason. Because he's edgy, bro. He's a cool, tough guy. But you don't do drugs. He doesn't do drugs. Don't do yeah, drugs. Yeah, he doesn't do drugs. And yeah, it's about sex. Because they can't sing about anything else. They can never just sing about anything else. It always has to be in rock and roll. You only have to sing about chicks or getting your dick sucked over and over and over again. No variation. No well, change-ups. Damn, I was really ignoring the lyrics on this one. So Maybe it's like they're so buried in the mix I don't pay attention. So like I already like, I can't hear what the fuck he said right there. Like, like on I'm, Skid Row, I was able to hear clearer day of the stupid. Well, yeah, ass do you think lyrics. Sebastian Bach was gonna let them turn down his vocals? Oh god, no. But no, this is what I wrote here. I wrote, fuck this. I wrote fuck this song, fuck the record, fuck me, fuck you, fuck kiss. This is the song. One out of ten, everybody. I wanna give Honest it. Honest to God, I hated this song. Yeah, I wouldn't give this a 1 out of 10. I think this song still had some passable-ish moments where I'm like, okay, hearing the worst. Like, 1 out of 10 for me is, like, definitely some extra-level amateur just bad, bad shit. And these guys have been playing music for, like, 20 years at this point. Yeah, but this is what I thought the record was going to sound like. Just so this over and over? Yes. Minus Lick It Up? Yes. Like, this song's boring. I'll give it a 3 out of 10. You know what? You're right. I guess in a way it did surpass my expectations, too. But you know what that tells me? That tells me how low my fucking expectations were. Damn. I must Which have isn't a good thing. Damn. I must have set my expectations way lower than yours. I guess so. Oh. Now the next one, though. Last song. Thank God. Oh, God. We're almost done with this record. This is called On the Eighth Day. They're tell getting me, biblical. Tell me on the eighth day. Like, no, literally, the chorus is, On the eighth day, God gave us rock and roll. Well, let me tell you what I wrote down. Please. Well, yep, on the eighth day, God created <laughs> regret. <laughs> I'll give it three out of ten. I don't Maybe. know why I give it a four out of ten. I must have been in a good mood. It was the day after I played a show. I was relaxing. I was, like, tearing down the equipment, and I was getting ready to smash fish tacos See, now this feels evening. like a... I actually wrote here, this feels like a Def Leppard ripoff. I felt it on this song. This record's such a Def Leppard, a Judas Priest ripoff. But it's like... 
it's like uh, mid, it's, like, it's it. like mid eighties Judas Priest. Though. Yes, but even then, if you were list, like Defenders of the Faith, doesn't sound like this. Or what came out in eighty three? British Steel. British Steel didn't sound like this. Where was Screaming for Vengeance at? I thought Screaming for Vengeance was like eighty six. No, that one's before Defenders. Right, exactly. Oh wait, you're right. Well, either way, eighty six is Turbo. Oh wait, you're right because '88 was ram it down. That's right, my bad. Yes. Well, either way. Come on, bro. Know your priest, bro. The song's boring, but it's not awful. This is that. This is was actually one of the songs where I'm like, yeah, the cheese factor carries it. It carries it from a one to a three. Okay, yeah, I was like a three. Come on, I couldn't. Well, no, because the last song was a one, so it bumped it up two whole points. Like, dude, that last song. Profits, stocks. Well, the song is better than the last one. The last one I gave a three. Maybe I should give that last one a two. Uh, it's really... No. Record lows on the show. High two. I'll give it a high two. A high two. It's almost... Could be a three. We're really struggling to try to make yeah, the yeah, best out of, a dog, out of a dog turd. Yeah. This was worse than the Skid Row record. Oh, God. I Easy. Would, I would rather listen to Slave and Grind. We're done with you. <laughs> that oh my god, yeah. That record's horrible listeners. So I tallied up my score, and out of a score of a hundred. Mm. Easy one hundred. Forty-two! Oh my god, that's a fucking super fail. You know, my mom was telling me it's she bad. thought the issue with this record was that it, as she said in her thing, it didn't sound like kiss. And at the time I asked her, What? I said, this sounds like Kiss to me. She says, well, does it sound like Detroit Rock City or Rock and Roll All Night or Christine 16? I said, no, I guess not. And she said, yeah, this album suffered because it was them trying to sound like what was popular at the time. Like, sure, it went Def Leppard, Judas Priest. <laughs> and she said, sure, the album went platinum, which, yeah, that album went one times platinum. Well, there is, if there's ever a God, he's a cruel one. <laughs> he but allowed it, this record to go platinum. But it, he it, allowed uh, Skid Row's Slave to the Grind to be double platinum. We live in a cruel world. Um, but she said that Where alienated- people like that are allowed to win. Well, okay, a lot of them do lo- like lose good. Except Kiss, they're smart. Yeah. I do That's not- why I said I've always respect like like I respect them you as res- musicians and businessmen. Yes. But that doesn't mean I like them. You respect the hustle. But yeah, she said not the product. But yeah, yes. She said sure it went platinum but it alienated their old fan base. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm sure there's truth to that. Here's the but here's the real reason why this album didn't sell that well compared to old stuff. Screaming wa- for Vengeance came out in 1982. 82, okay. Yeah, it was like wait, you said British Steel, which I knew that was yeah, that's 80. 80. Point of entry is after that, and then it's Screaming for Vengeance. That's right. They in did those boom, boom, boom one after. Yeah, another. and then like Screaming for Vengeance, there's a couple years, and then Defenders is 84. Yeah. I know Defenders is 84. I think Defenders is my mom's favorite. So yeah, if you have no, it's Point of Entry. So sorry. yeah, if you have Judas Priest and Def Leppard ripping it, yeah, I'm just saying it's like I don't mind a bad knockoff Judas Priest and Def Leppard. Sometimes I'm okay with it. I'm like, you know what? It's okay. I'm like fine with that. Like at that time, I mean, Kiss this was wasn't pro- being Kiss. I mean, this is probably better than an Anvil record. Yeah, Anvil could be. I'm sure Anvil could be pretty terrible. What do you want to listen to an Anvil record next, <sighs> bro? You don't make me cry. But you're like sitting there, like, dude, do we have to listen to this bad shit? Can I've listened listen- to the first four Anvil albums, and at least the first one might be worse than this. But anyway, I'm sure there's some truth to what my mom said. But here's the real thing about this record: 
and there's why the real reason why it didn't sell it why it didn't sell well compared to old stuff and the real reason why it alienated their old fan so base platinum. bullshit yeah but their, oh, it did their so old well. stuff their old stuff went like five six and ten by now well fuck them the point i'm the making world, we live in a cruel world where they're allowed to get five or the six the point i'm getting at and the reason why alienated old fan base and this actually didn't debut that good of reviews it was very mixed is because it sucks Oh, yeah. This we, album didn't get out of second gear. I don't know if it got in the first gear. It was just there. You could say it. Except that I like the shitty cover songs. You could you could say it peaked at song two. Uh, sorry, song three with the tile track. But not really. It started in one place and then it ended at the exact same place. That's the thing. Look it up's the only one that you can actually note. It's like, okay. It's the only one that has distinction. Yeah, you know that one song. Out of uh, all the songs, what was the one? A million little things or whatever. The the like track seven or whatever. Yeah, was that the was that like the Def Leppard ballad? Yeah, that was the other single. You know what? I can approve of that. Out of all these songs on the record, it it adds credence to what you were saying about them ripping off Leopard. Yes, but yeah, it's generic. It's lame. It's boring. I was not engaged. Like it makes you appreciate Leopard even more. Yeah, yeah, this re- yeah, this record made me like bands I already liked. <laughs> There's nothing spicy. There's no surprises. And outside of cheesy lyrics, if I'm being serious, there's nothing worth listening to. Nothing worth taking from. In retrospect, I'm glad we did listen to this record. Thanks, Ma. Because my <laughs> curiosity's been sated. Because I've been curious about this record forever. This is their disco record. But, which I've never listened to either. Okay. And, but now that I've heard Damn this it. record... We're doing it. We're doing it. But now that we're I've doing heard, a disco record after this. Next you know, week, we're doing a disco... We have to at you know this what? point. Fine. But... I'll probably feel the same way I feel about this record because now that I finally listened to Lick It Up after all these years of being curious, I never, ever, 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 ever have to listen to it again or look at it again or think about it again. I do not recommend this record. F. Fail. It's the worst album we've listened to. It's worse than Slave to the Grind and it's worse than G Love and Special Sauce. New lows. I think I'm, I'm like, this is definitely barely. It's barely. I would prefer the list of this. If I was stuck with a gun in my head and it's like, you have to listen to G Love or this record again, what are you going to choose? I'm like, well, I'm choosing Lick It Up. <laughs> you would pick G Love over, over Lick It Up. Sorry, you would pick Lick It Up over G Love. If I had a gun in my head, yes. But both songs, well, then again, both songs are repetitive, but G Love had like six more songs. That was like a 16 track album. Yes. And also, I'm, I have a feeling this record was also 10 to 15, maybe 20 minutes shorter. Either way, we reached new lows. We uh, we reached some pretty good lows on that Thanks, one. Thanks, Gene. But disco record next week. Disco record next week. What is the disco record? I think it's called Destroyer or something. Uh, dude, look it up real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold I on. No, Destroyer sounds too tough. <laughs> Did you, of all people, just say that? <laughs> yeah, well, what it's is? on audio. I was like, yeah, dude, Destroyer sounds like a tough record day for a disco record. Oh, it's called Dynasty from uh, 1979. Uh, so that is for sure the disco record. Yeah, the genres on oh, Wikip- yeah. from Wikipedia. The from genres Wikipedia. are hard rock and disco. The singles. I was made for loving to you, for loving you, and sure know something. Dude, that's the best. But the, dude, I was made for loving you. Is like Since the I'm best here, I might as well read the reviews now. All music, three out of five. Oh, Collector's Guide to Heavy Metal, four out of ten. Oh. Encyclopedia Pop Music, two out of five. Pitchfork, two out of ten. Oh my god. Okay. Rolling Pit- Stone, negative. 
and Rolling Stone album guide. One out of five stars. You Ooh. know what? Here's the thing, though. I Because I can see the future oh sometimes. God. I'm probably going to like this more than Lick It Up. Because Lick yes. It Up wasn't like... Slave to the Grind was almost so bad it's good, or it's so bad it was funny. At least when talking about <laughs> Here's it. Here's the thing. This is going to be funny when we talk about it. Lick It Up, I was fucking miserable listening to it. And I'm actually surprised. I'm almost offended you like the album as much as you did. In fact, I trust your opinion in music class. I know your whole thing is, oh, what's up, guys? I'm James. I have shitty taste in music. Ha, lol. Let me throw on my disc K and then switch it over to Yanni. But then it's like, oh, Lick It Up was better than G-Love, which, yeah, maybe it was. But it's <laughs> not the point. You're not, you're, well, okay, what's your point? Like, am I going to tell some random person on the street, hey, go check out Lick It Up? I would tell them, uh, avoid it. It's a bad record. <laughs> TB, TBH, you have no reason to listen to it. Dynasty you, might be worse, but it also might be better at the same time. Here's the what thing I'm saying. that could, I don't know if those are perspective of 1979 and not 2022. Music has changed. Tastes have changed. And I was made for love and use their best song. So at least there's a try. <laughs> is that your real opinion? Oh, yeah, dude. My favorite kiss song is the garbage disco hit. hit. I never knew that. Legit. You never said that. Well, I have when said When do we it, talk about Kiss? That's actually a good question. Never. This might have been there like... There is no opinions to talk about Kiss, except right now, I was like, yeah, Lick It Up is terrible. It's just like, there's songs that are bad, very extremely bad, uninspired. Why did you even bother writing that Kiss or song? Or they're ripping off Def Leppard. Yeah, and Judas Priest. And Judas Priest. Which I'm like, damn, this should just be another band. I would have rather listened to the worst Judas Priest album you could think of. I would rather listen to... I would have rather listened to Nostradamus. Which I have listened to once. It's a double album and there's two songs I liked. Oh God. Do I want to listen to Terrible Priest? No. I would rather listen to I got Terrible Kiss. I would rather listen to an Iron Maiden record. Okay, I'm curious to see if I will after listening to Dynasty, if I would choose Terrible Kiss over Iron Maiden. (laughs) Just over Iron Maiden in general. We just picked off we just pissed off some prog nerd. (laughs) Right now, they're about to fucking whip out their uh, seven-string, eight-string guitar and fucking ready to fight me outside they're the door. They're about to arpeggio with us. I'm like, yo, homie, uh, I'm down to throw a fist. Let me piss real quick. I would like to point out I do, in fact, like prog music. I like prog rock and metal. Uh, Iron Maiden, though? Mm. Bro, I just like good old chugs. I'm a priest guy. Yeah, I'm a priest guy, almost too. Everyone we ha- almost everyone we hung out with were maiden guys instead of priest guys, and they were very pretentious about it, too. Well, they're kind of some fucking weird pretentious nerds. All right, you want to get to the main event? Bro, they can't even fucking play sick <laughs> D-beat. I don't fucking... Their opinions... It's ready to t- I'm, ready, I'm ready to talk about how Bret Hart made me want to cry for him. Uh, I'm going to take a piss. And oh, you actually have come- to piss? Yes. Okay. I'm going to go piss and fight prog nerds, and then we'll come back and talk about the sad, sad tale of Brett the Hitman Hart. Gucci fam. All right, listeners that have been hanging out either the show or have used the timestamps to skip forward, because here it is, people. It's time for the main event. And honestly, we can be exciting, but we have a, not going to lie, it's a pretty sad uh, tale with a very awesome documentary uh, telling us about it. All right. This is Wrestling with Shadows. It is the Bret Hart story. I want to open our discussion slash review of this record with a question. Mm. James, when you hear someone say the words, wrestling is fake, what's your initial reaction? What do you say back? Cool, bro. (laughs) That's literally it. Well, what, what I'm like, I, cool, dude. <laughs> don't care. When I was a kid or when I was younger, I used to say, it's not fake. It's choreographed. But that stopped feeling right as I got older. 
Kayfabe News used to say, it's not fake, it's predetermined. I bring this up because to the person this documentary is about and his family, Bret Hart, wrestling is real. Very painfully real. Oh my God. And this documentary makes you feel that pain. This is the documentary that WWE doesn't want you to see. Well, they didn't in 97 anyway. Oh, God. Well, this came out in like 98 or 99. I thought it was 99 it came out. Could have been Yeah, so that's obviously a good... Now, obviously, That's for sure a year, a year and a couple months of remove yeah. from the Montreal screw job. Now they obviously don't care. Well, yeah. It's- <laughs> Should we explain the screw job to anyone who might not know? Um, well, how would you describe the Montreal Screwjob? Well, they tell the story a bit in this company, but like, to summarize it for non-wrestling fans that may be listening to this, or as a refresher for wrestling fans, you had a guy, Bret Hart, he'd been working for Vince McMahon and his WWF for 14 years at this point. Company man, you know, good guy. Um, he has problems with one Shawn Michaels, who's, an, who's another one that people toss up in the hat of greatest of all time. Vince McMahon really likes him, but uh, Shawn Michaels kind of has an attitude, prima donna shit. He's also a little wacky and uh, coked out. Out, to put it nicely uh so there's a lot of issues i w- and leading leading up to it well here's the and thing eventually yeah i was about to say like i don't think the montreal screw job was a is a sean issue though no it's not but sean is an important part like, you could tell the story of like what was on tv yeah but i feel like that doesn't explain well, the montreal screw well job. brett's issues with sean led to clashing right so eventually brett's champion he's WWE champion and but he's like but he's getting fed up with stuff in the company as they partially talk about here so he's like i'm gonna jump ship to wcw but he's close with vince at the time he really cares about him so he wants to do the right thing but vince is like uh, I want you to lose to Shawn Michaels in Montreal, uh, which he's from Canada. And he's like, I will literally do anything but that. Um, and eventually they had it worked out that, you know what? It'll be a schmaz finish, which means there'll be a run in. That's not what happens. Uh, Vince, the match is going and then Vince yells at the referee, Earl Hebner. And we'll get into details later to ring the bell which steals the championship from Brett right as his contract's about to expire and he goes off to WCW. Uh, the Montreal screw job, it is called. And that's what this documentary ended up being about. Originally, it wasn't. I think it was originally just a documentary about Bret Hart. It was but the good. Montreal a, screw job happened to happen. Yeah, so I could tell you, like, I cannot explain the Montreal screw job <clears throat> in a very short description. It's very long. Because yeah. there's so much details. And then, like, you tried right now, but then there's the part where it's like, the, it, it wasn't just an issue. Brett was like, well, we see he falls out. But I don't think it was much of an issue of him wanting to leave. No, he, he didn't want to. He felt forced to leave. There's so much little details that leads up to the Montreal screw job. Yeah. The event itself was an event where, like, Bret Hart here, he got basically screwed out of a thing that he was promised. Yes. It, like this, as the documentary shows, <laughs> it was a very shocking moment for fans. It was a real thing because they go like, wait, why did the company feel the need to do that? Yeah, it was a shoot. It was one of the general shoot things. And then there's more because it's not just the event itself. It's what leads up to it. And mm-hmm. it's what's the post of it. Yeah. It's, I cannot. It's something you cannot describe. But this documentary Definitely talks about all it is that leads up to it. Mm-hmm. And then we can explain more what happens after. Yeah. As You're a little said, better with remembering wrestling trivia than I am. I'm pretty good at the research. I'm not the best at remembering trivia. Well, as I said, like there's not, I feel like there's no good short way to explain it. No, Because you lot. can't. If you just say, yeah, this person got screwed. You ask, then the person will ask, 
What's the context? Why did it happen? That's when it goes, oh. And then it's like, well, I got to write a fucking college thesis now. <laughs> I got to explain to you this whole thing. Because What actually leads up to it? Why would someone do this? What mm-hmm. was the fears? What are the motives? Yeah, yeah. There is so much and so the reason why this why Bret Hart got screwed. If you actually want, I just ran. If you want to hear us talk about it, long time ago we reviewed the Dark Side of the Rings. Uh, well, we talked about the Dark Side of the Rings episode. Yeah, it. we talked about Dark Side of the Ring episodes, but we didn't talk about the Montreal Screwjob episode. Which that episode's a little. It's good. It's there's Scott points where saw Scott Hall at the end saying he thought it was a work. Oh yeah, dude, that's a work. It's like okay, now we're getting the dumb tech. We're getting some <laughs> dumb bullshit, and there's. So much information on the yeah. Montreal Screwjob. It's one of those things that, honestly, in pro wrestling, unless you're like new to it or haven't really heard about it, mm-hmm. it's been talked about so much, too much, probably. to the point like, dude, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I, I, we'll see how good, how knowledgeable I am. I'll be spitting facts maybe left and right. So we open up the documentary proper to see Bret Hart walking um, to a locker room. And with ominous music going in the background. There's a lot of ominous music in this movie. No fucking shit. This is not a happy documentary. Half the time it was just like the Black Hawk Down soundtrack with like chanting and uh, vocalizations in the background. Yes. So we see him get dressed. He's putting on his knee brace. He's wetting his hair. Like literally his hair is like dry and fluffy. He's literally suiting up. Yeah. And uh, he gets shot. We get shots of the crowd looking stoked. Dude, we get this one chick that straight up looks like she's just popped out of TikTok. <laughs> like literally you just saw her as like, dude, is that just a TikTok-y girl that's marking the fuck out for Brett? I'm going to just say it's now. Brett had a lot of female fans. Brett had a lot of fucking fans. Women used to watch wrestling, which I know sounds stupid probably to someone nowadays, but you got to remember like video games, wrestling was one of those things that people just assumed only men or boys liked. Yeah. Fucking nerd, <laughs> gross incel men. Gr- gross, gross, hairy, sweaty nerds. Yes. So we open, yeah. So that happens, and then um, he walks outside, and boom, title card: Hitman Hart, wrestling with shadows. Dude, it's a shitty title card. <laughs> like that's, that's a weird, that's a weird thing. This documentary feels low budget. It feels nineties though. Yeah, it's very nineties. Don't like. Here's the thing: we don't. It's not like the documentaries of like what we've seen of late. Like where it's no, very all professional with the lo- expert lighting and cameras. This is it, almost kind of raw. Yeah. Well, dude, if there's this is documentary. If there's definitely it's raw. It's fucking this documentary. Raw is this documentary. Yes. So we hear bra. We hear Bart. We hear Brett. Hart narrate how it's hard to find a hero anywhere. I was proud of that hitman character. He, I you'll was notice, proud of my hitman character. You'll notice this. He refers Boy, to himself. Like a Canadian, a eh? very <laughs> raspy voice. You'll notice this a lot about the movie, especially if you've watched it. He refers to himself and the hitman character as separate people. See, I always took hitman heart, like Brett the hitman heart, as like a nickname. But to him, it was a separate character. Yeah, that's the one thing is watching this documentary. I never realized time. it, yeah. He says it's hard to find a hero anywhere. I was proud of that hitman character. I was proud of the hitman character. He fought for the right causes. He spoke up when he told the truth he's basically putting himself over and we see him being showered with the praise hitman was an awesome was a character that was a true hero honesty and integrity to illustrate that point they're in india and he is being mauled by loving children he's literally sitting there telling like these children have been waiting all afternoon just to meet me for like a couple of minutes yeah and like he's treated like a fucking god <laughs> Yeah, most wrestlers are over there, but yeah. yeah. They, India loves WWE, and he talks about how this is one of those moments where, you know, it all just feels so real. Then he walk- says, this is real. 
Yeah. Then he's walking down a hotel hallway. Dude, the lighting in this hotel is ridiculous. I just wrote down, dude, the sad walk down a hallway. And I'm he's, like, even the gods every now and then have to just do. It's late at night. Time to go down this lame ass. Where the fuck's my room? He's talking about how tomorrow is the big showdown in Montreal. So so already, right, they're playing hard up as an upstanding, like, well-kept man. And keep in mind, in kayfabe, at this time, he was part of the monstrously heel Team Canada. Like, he beat up good guys and kept calling Shawn Michaels, like, gay as an insult for posing in Playgirl. Although he does make clear in this interview a lot of that stuff were lines he was fed. Yeah. You know, whether that's like, We can describe that as or as he on. Or as he kept saying, a girly magazine. Yes. So he's talking about so he's talking about how uh, how Vince um as in Vince McMahon told him he has to lose to Sean tonight and Brett says he would rather blow his brains out. Oh, rather bro my, what was it like? Well yeah, he's like he's like honestly the hitman character would rather blow his brains out right now. Brett talks about how people think wrestling isn't real and he looks reflective. Yes. He like looks down. Actually kind of the pose you're doing right now. Yes. He just looks down. He's beside and then he just goes it's more real than people think it is. It's more real than people think it is. And then, of course, they show footage of the iconic interview where Brett says he has no sympathy. You mean sympath- Vince? Sorry, where Vince says he has no sympathy for Brett. How Brett screwed Brett. And then we see text one year earlier. Oh, dude, you didn't see the shiner on Vince's eye? He's got the good I was going to wait till we got there. But yes, Vince McMahon. Oh, yeah. Vince McMahon, can- with clearly a lot of makeup, has a lot of shiner under his, uh, I think it's his right eye. Yeah, he has a good shiner on his left eye. Right, left eye. Yeah. 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 So, so, yeah, one year earlier. We see Michael Hayes. That was Michael Hayes? Yeah. Dude, I can never recognize Michael Hayes unless he has that shitty long hair. He had this shitty long hair. Well, I guess I just didn't recognize him. So we well, cut maybe to, it was more full. We cut to maybe it was Bre- less shitty. We cut to Bret Hart at a rodeo in Calgary. He's signing autographs. Yeah, he's just having a good old fucking giant meet and greet. He says how, now get this, I thought you'd get a kick out of this line. He says, they say every week half a billion people watch WWF. Yeah, so yeah, after the meet and greet, we see him, he's backstage, and he talks about half a billion people watch the WWF. I'm Which like, I had to remember, I'm like, wait, how many is that? That's like 500 million? Yes. And I rewound it, by the way. I'm like, maybe he said million. He said billion. Half a billion. Half a billion. I'm like, that doesn't count. I think that counts <laughs> everywhere that there is a syndication and broadcasting of uh, WWF television. Then he talks about how he has a dream often. And I'm, and it's like, you ever have the dream of like being in front of people with no pants? Brett has a dream of running out of gorilla naked. Yep. Footage of Bret Hart trying to cut a backstage promo. Yeah, he's just kind of real. And it's honestly, he's sitting there, he's trying to cut a promo, and he's botching. Yeah. And he's there with his kids. Only a few of them get named. This one's a little boy named Blade Hart. Yeah. I, That's a great name. Here's the thing, if there's any focus on the children here, it's just Blade. Yeah. We who, only really see Blade. Who Bret buries. He says he, <laughs> lo- he says he looks and acts like his wife. He calls him Hell on Wheels. Like, so, damn, He's like Hell on Wheels. He's kind of the personality of a rattlesnake. There's kind of a lady kind of try. Uh, there's a lady that tries to fit in with like a mic for the documentary. One of those like little lapel mics that you yeah. put on your shirt. He mentions how he's got four kids and she's basically like, well, damn, did you have them when you were like 12 or something? And then Bret Hart, just like this, he just goes, I'm 40. Doesn't say it rudely, but just very matter of factly. I'm 40. Come on. I turned is- 40 this year. And then she's like, 
Well, you don't look it. <laughs> <laughs> this is Bret Hart we're talking about. Well, Bret Hart did look good, though. Oh, yeah, no. I thought he was like 28 here. I know he wasn't. No, he's yeah. fucking 40. That's insane. So he introduces us to some close people of his. Yeah, the first Hart off, Foundation. First off, his brother-in-law, British Bulldog, who he calls the strongest man in wrestling. He's like one of the strong. He's definitely, I would say, the strongest. Maybe when he's sober. Yeah, when he's the strong. I think he's one of the strongest man in wrestling. His brother, Owen, who he calls one of the best technical high flyers. And then Jim Neidhart. And all he has to say Damn. about him is he's he's a character. He's a character. Rip. You know, and here's the thing though. Here, yeah, sorry. Here's the thing though, too. He just introduces the family part. The Hart Foundation also had Brian Hillman. Yeah. Who's just hanging out in the background? See, I don't know about you, but like I was until I started listening to the wrestling observer, I wasn't aware that Jim Neidhart was a bad wrestler. I remember watching the Hart Foundation as a kid on like old DVDs and YouTube clips. Like, yeah, these guys are cool. Maybe I didn't notice, but listening and Grant, I'm sure '97 Neidhart's way different than '80s Neidhart. But they're just talking about how like when the Hart Foundation wrestles, just Neidhart just sucks, <laughs> and then Natty's a way better wrestler. I mean, I thought she was anyway, but I just feel bad for the poor guy because I guess he's a bad wrestler. Yeah. So either way, we get we don't, there's no mention. And of Vince Hillman. Russo in the background. Yeah, I was building up to that, but yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I was about to say, bro, it's Vince Russo, bro, as he's hanging out, going over with them with their uh with He the looks material. like such a square. Yep. And at one point, this is the most real part, he like walks off to like where Jim Cornette is, and they share a laugh as they talk. Like, wow, simpler times. Montages of promos. Yeah, there's, there's a highlight where Neidhart. We see Brett and his, and Anvil are going over like a promo. Yeah, there's the highlight for me was when Neidhart says in the promo, "We're gonna get hungry, and we're gonna forget our manners." Ha 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 ha. Okay. <laughs> like fuck? what? Yeah, as I said, we see like promos with Michael Hayes. Obviously, we see the Road Warriors and Ken Shamrock. This is all building to the Canadian Stampede. Yeah, and then he runs down a couple wrestlers that we see. Like for instance, we see Goldust. And uh, getting painted up for the night. Brett's words are, he pushes the gay homophobic button and he pushes it real hard. Do you make him sound way more assertive than he actually was right there? Well, I'm, I'm just trying to do the voice. He was like, he was way more in a chill manner. It's like, okay, fine. There's a couple he, characters. He pushes in. the gay homophobic button and he pushes it real hard. Yeah, I think that was more like it. Okay, cool. You made it sound very assertive. Yeah, he pushes okay, the gay. I, okay, okay, so I do promo. You know what? Fine. I'm not. You know what? It's not my fault. I mimic. I guess I'm uh, uh, impersonating Hitman, not Bret Hart, because they're different people. Yeah. So we see some teenagers talking about how wrestling is fake. Yeah. Then we see this one. Dude. I just wrote that. Yeah, it's just marks, and one of them's just going, "Yeah, it's like a male soap opera." I've heard you said that to the pizza guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're all watching some uh, WWE wrestling in here. It's like a, you know, like a male soap opera. I always said soap opera for dudes. That sounds less cringy. Soap opera for dudes. I didn't say it didn't sound cringy. I just said it sounded less cringy. <laughs> so then we see this one dude, and I assume his son. They're pretty much what you think of when you think of the term Mark. They were thick boys, bad hair. He had the shitty goatee that Stone Cold had. But the thing is, that goatee only has ever looked good on Stone Cold. Maybe yep. it may be Goldberg, I guess. Yep. But he's like, yeah, it's fun. You cheer for your favorites. Boo who you don't like. And he says, not a lot of things in life are fun anymore. In 1997. <laughs> just wait, buddy. Yeah, so, just we, wait. so then we see Vader uh, hugging Brett. We cut to the ring where he says, it's time. It's Vader time. And then in Brett, the ring. And then Brett tells us he's like, a, he's just a big baby. Yeah. 
We cut backstage and taking off his boots and he's talking to the camera. He's like, yeah, I have a degree in business. I'm a real estate broker. And currently I'm actually developing a hundred thousand square foot shopping center. Well, goddamn, I didn't know that. Oh, goddamn. Vader's not not a dummy. <laughs> so then we see Sonny. Oh, we see Sonny. He talks about how she's he talks about how she's, she's flirtatious. And he makes sure to specify, okay, they don't play the Sunny Days promo, but he makes sure to specify that they're just friends. And she she mentions how she remembers meeting him when she was 12 at a show. Yeah. So yeah, she was able to like, yeah, Brett was able to like freaking uh, high five her hand. And she was like, oh my God, the hitman, he actually high fived me. Oh my God. Here's the thing. Like Sonny, she was actual, like an actual genuine, genuine wrestling fan. Yes. She subscribed to the Observer. Yeah, she was. I was forgetting. About she was that. just a mess of a person. Yeah. Later on in life. I or blame Shawn Michaels. No. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of which, Shawn next. Uh, he says he's a great athlete, incredible performer. But there's things that get on my nerves. He's a prima donna. He thinks he's better than everyone. And then Brett talks about Vince for a second, how he changed wrestling. Which we see Vince at uh, WrestleMania 3 going, now everyone, Aretha Franklin. Yeah. And that, like, welcome to WrestleMania 3. And now America the Beautiful, Aretha Franklin. Okay, he doesn't do the Mr. McMahon voice, but you get it. I don't know. He's kind of close. And how he changed wrestling, Brett talks about. And then he says, and me, I'm Brett the Hitman Hart. Your kids are safe if they're watching me on Saturday mornings. He talks uh, about what the Hitman means and how he never quits. Yeah, never and gives it, up. Yeah, and then we also see an interjection of the of like that like video that promo package of the kid going, Brett! And Brett yeah, yeah. all intimidatingly goes up. Gives the kid his shades and then goes out and wrestles. Because like Brett's like, he's a badass. But, but he's he, nice. Yeah. He likes he, children. Yeah. But he's approachable. He's yes. a cool guy. He's a cool dude. But he'll whip your ass. We see a sh- And then we see a shot of 80 year old Stu Hart. Oh my God. We see the ancient Stu. Who you are, who you said, and I'm convinced, I believe you. Brett looks more and more like every day. <laughs> Uh, Brett mentions how he's only ever worked for Vince and his father. He talks, I've only worked for two promoters in my life, and that's uh, my Vince and also my father. He takes us to the Hart family estate, and he mentions how... Now, this is hilarious, especially to like non-wrestling fans. Stu Hart and his wife had eight boys, four girls. All the boys became wrestlers. All the girls married wrestlers. That's hilarious. Helen Hart on an interview... And oh my God, she says when she married Stu, she asked him, well, how much longer are you going to be in this business? Oh, how much longer are we going to be in this business? And Stu says, oh, about two years. Yep. And I wrote here, wah, wah, wah. And, she, and yeah, she said she didn't want the boys to do wrestling and she definitely didn't want the daughters to marry wrestlers. I think she failed at it. That's hilarious. She hates wrestling. This is like one of those things where it's like truth is stranger than fiction, right? You can't make that up. We see Brett give a speech at his dad's birthday. Talks about how he always wanted to be like him. And then he takes us. uh, He sorry. He tells us a story about. um, He tells us a little bit about Stu. 
Yes. Stu's father at one point ended up in jail and Oh wait, you're going to like where Brett brings in the history. I just want to interject real oh, quick. Oh sure. I just remember Brett is just at the table. It's like what Stu's birthday. Yeah. And he's like sitting there with a speech just sitting there. He's like, when I wanted to grow up, I wanted to be just like you, Dad. And then Stu just looks at him, he's good. <laughs> Stu can't fucking talk. Yeah, you made a you made a voice message with your Stu Hart impersonation, bro. You just made him sound like fucking Popeye, dude. He fucking sounds like and Popeye. He kind of sounded like Canadian Popeye. Yeah, have some discipline. Literally, Brett's like, I want to be like you. I have the greatest respect for you, and he just looks up at Brett and goes. That's literally what we hear. I was like, what the fuck? So Stu's story. Stu's father at one point ended up in jail and Stu and his two sisters ended up in an orphanage. And then with scary black and white footage playing. Yeah, I think it was is that he said that like uh, he was a farmer or something where he and his like ended up in a land dispute. Yeah, land which dispute. landed him in jail. And then the Stu and, and his uh, sisters ended up in an orphanage. And then with scary black and white music playing and intense music, Bret Hart says the words. And that's where he discovered wrestling. And I'm thinking to myself, and that's why where the fuck does that sound ominous? And that's where he discovered wrestling. So he says, this is an exact quote. He says, Stu fell in with a, with a, with a, with a club of shooters, so real what, submission wrestlers. Some shooters, real submission wrestlers. They had a great time stretching Stu and grinding him up. He's talking about this group of wrestlers like they're a fucking street gang. <laughs> fucking it is. And Stu talks about how much they fucked him up when they stretched him. Yeah, yeah, He's like reminiscing me. about it and laughing. And I uh-huh. wrote here, I'm like, Stu Hart's a scary man. He's like, oh, like they say he was like a super duper sweet guy in every aspect but wrestling. I'm like, what is he fucking Romo? Yeah, he's just like sitting there and Stu's just talking about it. I was like, yeah, I'll be the naked ass straight by the, the shooter at the top. But it was all good because I was anxious to become a bully myself. He was anxious to become a bully himself. That's how bad the hazing was. He was like, he didn't want to grow stronger. He didn't want to be a protector or no shit like that. He's like, I wanted to be a bully. I'm like, damn. Brett talks about how he came up with the sharpshooter, Brett did. Uh, And his philosophy is in wrestling, go full contact, but don't hurt anybody. Like hit hard. Like he's like he says, there's a point where you can see him wrestling. He's like, look at my punches. Look at my kicks. He's hitting them full force no he's not well he says full contact but he and he also says full force like he says hit hard but still be able to take your boots off and go home hurting yourself uh there's no um but we're always seeing it's like like brett wrestling showing his like punches and kicks and it's like wow they look so good like too damn good yeah exactly like it's like damn he's like it's almost like he was a great fucking pro wrestler and he says, you know, and it's and he says, you know, as hard of punches as he threw and as hard as he kicked, all anyone ever wanted to do was come up to him and tell him how wrestling was fake. The Hart family, he says, was tormented by bullies. Yep. Stu Hart was called a phony tough guy. Yep. Brett recalls fighting a bully and he found it in uh, he said he found it in himself to stand up to him one day. He calls the bully fight the bully fight he akins it to the OK Corral shootout. He, okay. threw, he, he says the fight went like this. He threw punches, and then he just took him to the ground and quote-unquote punted the crap out of him. Yeah, no, this is literally because Brett's talking about, you know, him and his uh, siblings being taunted as children during, when, during their childhood. Sisters going home crying. Yeah, and yeah, he literally was just like, he was about to go fight a bully like twice the size. Like, literally the teacher, like, at the door, as he's walking out of school, as school's ended, told him, good luck. 
And then yeah. Brett just talks about, yeah, so I just whipped his ass. Yeah. I threw some punches. He was blocking it, and I just straight up double leg take him down and then started punting him in straight in the face. Yeah. He was all bitch. <laughs> well, he didn't say that. He didn't say that part, but it was in his words. And that's basically what happened. He said the kids couldn't understand how real it was. He said all you had to do was... <laughs> yes. The kids couldn't understand how real it was. All you had to do was go home and listen to people screaming for their lives in the dungeon. Yeah, we also talked about... Yeah, there was like a quick thing where Brett was also talking about being hoisted on the shoulders, winning the title. Maybe it was this part where he was talking That's about wrestling's right. real. Yeah. Kind of didn't really matter the story, but let's talk about uh, people being tortured. Let's get to the juicy stuff. So... Should we explain the dungeon or do you think the documentary explains it enough? I think the documentary is able to explain it. Here's the thing. The dungeon was Stu's training ground for new wrestlers. Mm -hmm. Training in quotations. Brother Keith Hart specifically says he remembered when his dad was talking to people, he would like rub his hands together and almost salivating at the idea of luring people into the dungeon. He doesn't say lure, but he was basically luring them into the dungeon. Oh, yeah, yeah, He'd be sitting there, and he'd be talking to dudes. Dudes be talking about how they're, like, tough guys and stuff, and he'd go, well, uh, why don't you uh, come down, uh, down to my spot? I could uh, show you a thing or two. I also have to make mention of the fact that as he's making dudes scream for their lives, apparently, Stu will be yelling at them, have some discipline. No. Ah, have some discipline. Yeah, yeah. So no, there was like one dude that was getting stretched good where the children were like, oh, hey, uh, I can't remember if like the sister told Brett or Owen or someone, but they told him, hey, go uh, grab a video, reco- go grab a tape recorder and record this because there's pipes that leads down and through the basement. Mm-hmm. So they were able to hear it. And like you just hear the audio. Someone just basically screaming. Oh, God. Oh, God. Ah, ah, ah. And you just hear a slap. And he's like, uh, discipline. Uh, that's literally what it was. House of Discipline. House of Discipline. So we actually see uh, two guys and one of Brett's kids going into the dungeon. And this is 80-year-old Stu Hart. And he's like, oh, I think I might uh, show you guys a move or two. No, I think I'll show you guys a move. So Stu shows up to the dungeon. And yeah, we see 80-year-old man making this dude feel what yeah. looks like incredible pain. Yeah, like some bald dude just like going in. And he's just like sitting there. He's like, yeah, you know what? I'll be cool. Yeah. I could be, yeah, he's like, oh, he's all like, he's all like going, you know what? I'm down to get stretched. Yeah, let's we'll see. How bad can this be? And then the next thing we see him is like stretched, his like bald dome is all red. And he's going, ah, ah, ah. The fucked up part is Stu talks to you as he does it, as he twists and transitions. And yeah, he, be like, like he's, a, right here. And he's like, and then I can move over. And then when I turn this, and he's like, he's like, I can't feel my arms, sir. Oh, sir, I can't feel my arms. I can't feel my arms. Yeah, I have some discipline. James, I need you to know, I have literally met criminals that didn't intimidate me as much as Stu Hart. Oh, don't let this fucking like refrigerator like man waddle up to you and like hey uh you want me to show you a wrestling well, show you a move or two yeah meanwhile Let's not do that. meanwhile one of brett's kids and another fellow who's there they're like looking on as the guy screaming in agony with glee and amazement yeah no like well, they're on the floor bell on their bellies giddy as can be no i think the other guy like the normal guy he was just going oh my god the kid's just going, is in glee, going, oh my God, this is so great. Yeah, he's like, this is Brett's kid. He's like, this is sick. They're just giddy as could be as watch as Stu Hart's making this young jobber cry. It's quite the image. I almost wanted it to be the thumbnail. I don't know what the thumbnail should be. There's a lot of thumbnail game this episode. 
she Stu calmly tells him about how is talking about how you know those holds like the ones where it feels like your tongue is gonna burst and your eyes become bloodshot for five or six weeks Wait, you talking about Stu or Brett? Stu says this. Yeah. Brett brings it up later, but Stu says yeah, it first. Yeah, we're sitting there, and they be screaming then he has so the loud dude. out there, uh, tongue bears, and then you can see that the, um, they got bloodshot their eyes, and their eyes are bloodshot for five days straight. So then he has the dude in the hold again, and casual as fuck, he's just like, look at the veins popping out of his head there, and he's oh, like, the lips are right. turning a little blue. They're like, it's hilarious, but it's scary. Turning a little blue right there. Like, it's hilarious, but the it's scary. I can't feel my arm, sir. I can't feel my arm, sir. I can't feel my arm, sir. Uh, Night falls on Hart Manor. Brett says he remembered his dad squeezing him so hard, his eyes would be bloodshot when he went into school. Yes, he squeezed him so hard that he broke blood vessels, and then, yeah, his eyes were bloodshot, and he had to go to school like that. He remembered how, when he would scream, his father would scream in his ear, That was your last breath! And how Brett really thought he was going to die a few times that Stu Hart might accidentally kill him. Yeah, well, I don't think it was like, yeah, like, that was your last breath. It was, oh, there's, uh, that might be your last breath. He said <laughs> he yelled. <laughs> he was afraid of his dad is the point. He talks about how. Oh, yeah. But at the same time, he talks about how he can understand it must have been hard to raise 12 kids. <laughs> Fuck. Puts it in perspective, doesn't it? Yeah. But then he, but then he says these this weird string of words, and I'm like, what? He says, I'd rather have a toy rubber guy screaming than dealing with that. And I'm like, what? And then we fucking cut to this big rubber man in an electric chair, like the electricity's going off. He's like careening back and forth, yeah, going ah. And Bret Hart's just sitting on the stairs, looking bored. Yeah, we just see a random electric chair guy just going on as he said that. I'm like, okay, that's just a random ass prop that had just. This family's a trip. Like from the minutes to Hart shows up to the end of this electric chair thing, like the the documentary is just really dark and foreboding. Brett talks Fuck, about really. <laughs> Brett talks originally about how he didn't want to wrestle. He wanted to go into film, but Stu wanted Brett to go to the Olympics. Very different ideas of what to do with a life. Then we see a young Brett Hart fighting in uh, Stu's old wrestling promotion, fighting some old school big giant wrestling hosses so fucking barrel chest skinny arm dudes they're not in shape at all oh no they but i would probably enjoy watching them wrestle see audience Stu hart had a promotion like i mentioned it was it was it was the legendary stampede wrestling yep and since he can't take no for an answer he brett he brought young brett up there to become a wrestler well because he asked brett it's like hey i need guys yeah and he's like okay i'll come in i'll help the family business i don't want to be here forever and yeah he kind of got uh he kind of ended up wrestling forever <laughs> that's where the story went that is where it went yeah it's like literally like telling us yeah i wanted to do film but my dad wanted but my me to dad do- said no and then i just wrestled forever no yeah my dad's just like hey try this wrestling thing i want to see if you can make it to the olympics i would be super proud if you did and then it's like oh hey uh <laughs> business is rough can- and i'm down a couple bodies can you uh fill in a uh, good old brett and then Brett became a wrestler, and that is the... And then he became one of the best of all time. Yes. And then one day, a young, hungry, with an amazing pompadour having Vince McMahon comes along and buys the place. Yeah, so Vince McMahon came in, <clears throat> he bought the place so he can get syndication in uh, Canada, since they had a good syndication uh, 
uh, setup going with like Canadian yeah. broadcast. That's why I would say he's like, oh yeah, no, he no during this time period. No, there was a plan. Yeah, no, Vince McMahon was uh, going around and buying up every territory so he can get the syndication to make his uh, WWF brand fucking massive. Ironically, that's the story. Iron, it's ironic. And Stampede was not doing too well. It's always kind of ironic when I think about the old territory days and how Vince killed it because you know how the name of the Young Bucks book is Killing the Business and how all the old heads wrestling fans thought the Young Bucks killed the business? Well, it's just funny because Vince McMahon literally killed the wrestling business. He rebuilt it-ish, not by himself completely, to what we know it is as now, but for wrestling, for guys that were alive before we were born, he literally killed the business. Yes, he killed whatever territory (laughs) business it was so that it was just one big giant wwf conglomerate he talks about how hard life was or at least his, with the most uh territories he brought yeah. he wasn't able to buy all the territories yeah there was a couple like awa nwa owned ones he missed yeah and some obviously independent ones he didn't care about so he talks about how hard it was for Stu to adjust to life without wrestling and it hit how this entire time he's talking about i, I said a row here it hit me how this entire time he's talking about Stu. he's talking about him like he's a fucking war vet like Stu did time in Vietnam, but no, he just rode with submission submission grappler gangsters. Brett talks about how uh, he clawed his way up, was never handed anything, and how he figured he'd always retire in the WWF. But he's considering going to the WCW because he gets a huge fucking offer. Ted Turner is offering them him nine million dollars over three years, which is crazy money in '97. Oh, that's three million a year. He makes mention of the fabled 20-year contract that he was said to have signed with Vince McMahon. Brett says, while money isn't everything, he says he feels like the prettiest girl at the dance and the two companies are the boys fighting over him. He stresses that Vince made him, gave him the stage to perform, and that this is all a very hard decision. And also the entire time he's talking about this, he's shirtless in a pool. Yeah, he's shirtless (laughs) in a pool talking about this. As, as you said, like the two people were like battling over him like he's a pretty girl at the dance. Yeah. But basically when he, uh, he like freaking talk and then he, he's talking about if he should stay or go. Yeah. Which obviously he could have got with the big money, but he felt like loyalty is basically everything to him yeah. and has to like the integrity to stay loyal. So Vince McMahon gave him a 20 year contract mm-hmm. and he's like, I want to be in the WDF forever. I am loyal to Vince McMahon at this time period. And then he, we see Brett cutting a promo on Raw saying that exact same thing, how he wants to be in the WWF forever. And we see Vince McMahon clap and look very, very relieved. Yep. <clears throat> then we cut to Brett Hart watching himself on The Simpsons with a child in hand, making them breakfast. Yep. He gets his wrestling gear in. Uh, he says part of the reason he never left Vince was because it's kind of a father-son thing. And even to this day, Brett says he really did see Vince McMahon as a kind of father figure. Yeah. He didn't want to be unloyal because, again, money wasn't everything. Money wasn't everything. He mentions the first time he met Vince, he was kind of intimidated by him. And it's funny because that's kind of ju- like how he's intimidated by his dad. Yeah. And it's funny he says that because that line is juxtaposed with Vince acting goofy with Brett's kids. Yeah. And the cor- of course, the joke is a Vince McMahon. I wrote, I wrote something a little. I just wrote something that was like a little inappropriate. It's like we see Brett and his kids hang with the genetic jackhammer. Vince, I might wait a minute. Uh, that'll be uh, implied something bad. I was just going to imply, not imply. I was just going to state how it's funny because, you know, the joke. Vince McMahon, he only likes big, 
big, tall men. He's talking to Brett's kids, and one of the first things he says to them is, oh, you're looking a lot taller since I last saw you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're looking a little more taller. This is the best part, and I know it's not it's not actually funny, but I laughed. Brett tells his kids, all right, I need to go. I need to talk to Vince. Uh, go bother the headbangers or well, something. Go, uh, go bother the headbangers or something. I just thought that was funny. <laughs> I, I, that, that gave me the head cannon. When people bring their kids there, they just pawn them off on the headbangers. I guess the headbangers are great uh, caretakers. So, did I ever tell you when I was a kid and I watched old school wrestling, did I ever tell you my thought for what I thought should have been a tag stable and I thought it would have been the greatest stable of all time no, when I, I was a kid? No, I doubt it. The Nasty Boys and the Headbangers. That sounds terrible. They should have been a. They should have been an evolution style tag team. That sounds fucking terrible. That sounds amazing, doesn't it? A, a little more like a Marabad. <laughs> a Marabad. A, a Mazbad. Uh, uh, so now we're at an in your house show, which was an old school pay per view they yep. did. Brett, uh, Brett's getting ready to go out. Vince Russo again, looming ominously in the background. So this show is, he doesn't get a line of dialogue in this film, but if you know Vince Russo, you know Vince Russo. Yeah, yeah. but either way, we see as like we're at in your house. It's, it's Canadian Stampede. Yeah. We also hear Brett, we also see Brett. He's talking to Pat Patterson, who's the agent in the match, talking about all the spots, how the match should be set up. And then, yeah, we see the Canadian Stampede match going and we see the commentary of them talking over the spots and saying the spots go down. Yeah, it's him against Stone Cold. They're going over spots like about how uh, like how it's going to end with like Stone Cold trying to fight Brett's family. Yeah. Brett talks about how one and then we start to, and then we kind of just shift. Which to we injuries. see Bruce just looking like an angry ex-pilot or biker or like a poser biker guy. Yeah. Like he's not. He couldn't make it in the biker gang, but he still owns a Harley and has a leather pop-up collar jacket. Yeah, yeah. With the aviators, is like, are you trying to look like a tough guy there, guy? Because you're kind of looking like a fucking dork there, right, guy? But now he's gonna bust through the door and whip my ass, kind of guy. But then we then Brett starts to talking about uh, an injury he got once. Yeah. Uh, how one time he broke his sternum, and then he adds, and all of his ribs. Yeah. Like literally, he's in the card with Blade explaining. He's like, hey. Point to me where you think your sternum is. And he's just like, and the kid's just like, I don't know. And then Brett's like pointing all over like Blade's chest. Like, so I broke all my bones in this area. Wrestling Dino Bravo. Like all he did was like. Dino Bravo. Yeah, he took a spot where he like flew off the apron and landing into the barricade. And then, yes, he 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 broke his sternum. Which then Dino Bravo tried to do stuff with them. But it ended up Brett just like hanging outside and lose by count out. And then basically was carted out. He said he broke his sternum and then he was going to be out for seven weeks. But since he was like hanging out for the couple weeks, the checks were uh, depleting to basically a hundred dollars a week. So then he's like, oh, I guess I got to get back to work as soon as I can. Yeah. He rushed himself back because yeah. the money was bad. Yeah. Brett talks about uh, how one thing that made him hesitant to leave WWF was he was concerned. What would WCW do with the Hitman character? Well, that is actually a good question. And I wrote here, just wait, man. I wrote, Brett talks about how he was the number one good guy in wrestling about a year ago at this time. And I figured it would have been, uh, I figured it would have been Sting was the biggest good guy in wrestling. But, you know. Um, well, in the WWF, and he mentions, Brett was the number one good guy in wrestling. And he mentions how being a good, uh, a good, good guy means going up against a good bad guy. And he also mentions, and we see uh, a quick little spit of Mankind, a.k.a. Uh, Jack Foley. No, it's Mick Foley, who Brett calls the Hannibal Lecter of wrestling. 
And then we see Hunter Hearst Helmsley. It's like you call it like an evil character like Mankind, who just looks like the Hannibal Lecter of wrestling. But then also you have guys like Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Brett's exact words describing Triple H. And this is about his character. He's not talking about Paul Levesque. Yep. But he says he's the kind of character meant to hit a nerve. He's like a slob. He's a character that fans will never love. They'll always hate him. <laughs> and here in 2022, I'm t- all of wrestling is an elaborate work. It might be set up by God or the Illuminati, but all of wrestling's a work. Well, either way, Hunter is the smartest man in wrestling. And when then we see him talk mm-hmm. and he has the lightest fucking voice. Yeah. This is not older Triple H where where he's like, welcome to NXT. No, this is like, yeah. So then I put the boost to the guy Lighter. and just. So then I just put the boost to the guy and beat his ass. You got to have a French. You got to have a French accent. Was he doing the French accent still? A little bit. Well, still, he's just like, and people can't wait to see my ass get beat. And the booze become cheers. And the booze becomes cheers. Okay, it's not that light. I was trying. And then Stone It's hard to do this voice. (laughs) And then Stone A young hunter is a hard voice to do. Not going to lie. He's not hunter. He's hunter. Yeah, he's hunter. He's not the hunter. So then Stone Cold comes out. Oh, this this is when we get into the this is where the old wrestling fans, if they were reviewing this, would talk about how this is the topical shit. Brett refers to Stone Cold as the most evil guy in the Federation. He says, There's been something strange happening. The American audiences have been cheering people they're supposed to hate. He's so bad, he's cool. Then the fans decide if they cheer you, you're the good guy. If they boo you, you're a heel. He says he doesn't think there are good guys anymore. That people are bored of them. And people seem sick of good guys. I guess that was the NWO's fault. I wrote here, I feel you, Brett. I miss old school faces and heels. Yeah, you could say that was like the NWO's fault, but you can't say that with Stone Cold. No. Like, yes, he was kind of a shitty guy, but his character was literally, he would not back down from a fight. He was willing to overcome the odds. True, he did that, but he also did legitimately do like heel stuff. Oh, yeah, too. yeah. Well, here's the thing. In 96, but leading into 97. Yeah. Like early 97, there's no, still I would heel say, stuff. I would say, and I'm not going to just write. Like, I'm yeah, not, you uh, listen to the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You went through that Bri- part Brian and Vinny are fully believe. They're just like, oh, dude, from like, well, I'll just be generous. From like 97, like let's just say the first show, 97 on, full on. They're just like, oh yeah, Austin's a face, but he's just the base of base badass. They they actually and uh they actually meant they talk about the um this documentary shows the WrestleMania match, but a lot of people talk about that match for it's like double turn, but they point out Brett was getting booed for a while and Austin was getting cheered for a while. It just kind of cemented it, you know? Yes. But yeah. It kind of just happened that way. Like Austin was a badass character. But like and I'm not, like there was times he did shitty things, but yeah. he be was doing less shitty things and was just being a badass. Yeah, no, because when he was ringmaster and then when he shaved his head and stuff, he was still like a heel. And like to when he did the Jake Roberts thing and then to the 316 promo, still a heel. And you know, as we know, it wasn't overnight that he became successful. But but it did start to change uh, yeah, like little the, by little. Like Brett's frustrations here is like, he's the most evil man. I'm like, that's a lie. It's that, that but that's he really was, how he saw it. He though. was evil for a good minute, but he started becoming like the good guy. Yeah. And also, here's the thing. Like, this is something I can't tell if this is kayfabe or not the way he's talking. Cause clearly the hitman character. No, no. I would feel see. like, I feel like he believes this. Like, I felt like he believed in the hitman character as being like, you know, he's the ultimate good guy and he tells what's true and stuff. And, but then I don't think he saw truth that, you know what? Some people do get tired 
And he's like, I think they're tired of the good guy. I think they're just tired of just like Brett and they wanted a fresh face. Oh, no, totally. That's I mean, and don't get me wrong. I'm fully aware. You know, there's people that are like, oh, faces and heels are dead. That's not true. It is true that and, there's very rarely designated faces and heels anymore. Oh, no, there's faces and heels. Yeah, no, there are. But what I'm but what I'm getting at is, is that if you watch the period and I haven't like rewatched every Raw with Brian and Vinny going along. With, I haven't been that hardcore, but I have checked out bits and pieces from the show because I have Peacock. Um Again, like I said, there's some real, like, genuine heel stuff. It's really, ironically, the closer we get to Montreal Screwjob, the more, and after WrestleMania 13, the more and more face-like that Austin becomes. Because he stops attacking heels. Well, not... He, well, uh, sorry, babyface. He stops attacking baby faces and he stops being... um. Because when he was still getting a little popular, he would still throw out, like, pot shots at the crowd. He stopped doing that. It's a lot of little things they did. Yeah, no, believe me. He's, like, saying Stone Cold's the, like, evil character. is like, no, he was transitioning out of being an evil character. Yeah. Like, you guys had your feud as the evil character. Now, granted, at this point in the documentary, this is still before WrestleMania 13. Yes. But, yes. I don't know if this is a ninety late 96 or if we're in 97. Like, 96, I could still believe that freaking... Um, if it was like 96, then yes. Yeah, oh, and Cold. the Brian Pillman feud? Like, I know Pillman is technically the heel in that, but... What you, no, no, no. He no, he was the face. Oh, he was? Okay, well, because I was going to say, Austin is straight up tormented, that guy. Yeah, no. Austin was trying to... Yeah. Yeah. No, Aust- Brian no, no, Pillman no. tried to shoot him. Yes, but <laughs> it literally was... Austin came off as a cool, badass character. Yeah, yeah. And he eventually became the hero. Yeah, which was different at the time. There wasn't a face really like that. At least on American wrestling. Yeah, but no, Brett was like, no, there is a straight, like, straightforward, pure moral, like, no. Like, Austin became, like, the ultimate hero. And so, and Brett talks about how Vince convinced Brett to turn heel. He was reluctant to, but he decided it was a good idea because, hey, maybe maybe the Hitman character got stale. I it's, think he it, did. It's always weird hearing like old wrestling things about this. Not to derail us again, because like when you think of Vince McMahon and people talking about him in the last like 10 years, everyone always calls him like out of touch or doesn't know how to do this or that. But when you hear of like Vince in the 90s, like mid 90s yeah, to the end of the 90s. That is a different Vince. I know it's a different Vince, but it's more than that. It feels like it's a completely different human being. Yes. Like he was hungrier. He he took more risks. He was aware he needed to get in young, fresh faces. He was aware. Like he even told Hulk Hogan like in the uh, in the early in the early 90s he was like hey hogan been around a long time i need some new people so it's just it's just interesting to me yes how he was able to modernize and change with the times back then that was back then so and this uh, is before he became a billionaire and then lost touch this is where brett talks about the uh wrestlemania turn uh, match the infamous double turn yes like i said some wrestling historians will tell you that brett was already booed Austin was already yeah. cheered. Some will say there's no real double turn at all. Whether or not that's like, true. Literally the night, like the like the Raw before, Brett was booed. Yeah. Austin was cheered. And then if you want to say that mania where it's like, all right, they for sure decided to actually make their characters full yeah. on okay, then yes. Yeah, the way I see it, and, and you know, and this match, you know, this helped shoot Austin to the did this shoot him to the moon? No, that was that was uh ninety-eight. But this helped put get him in the rocket ship. Brett talks about how he took his genuine animosity for the fact 
that there's no more like straight heroes and that his character was getting booed and that Stone Cold, who he viewed as an evil character, was being glorified because from his perspective, people like to throw around the term shades of gray when it comes to Austin and this new attitude era. He didn't say that, but that's what he means to a lot of people. Austin had been doing a lot of things a babyface would do, like you said earlier. Yes. To Hart, though, he was doing but to Hart and to other people too, other fans. He did. As we saw in this documentary, he was doing things that a heel would do and being celebrated for it. I guess it's just dependent what kind of a wrestling fan you were. It really depends. But he did take that and he put it into his heel character. Yes. Like, Brett didn't like what, like, he didn't see why the fans like Austin. Yeah. But if we watched the show, we could tell you, we could see why he liked, why people liked Austin. Oh, yeah. I'm sure if we were going through those old Raws, oh, bro, we'd be like, yo, Austin's the hype as shit. Yeah, I'm just saying, it's just like, and it also is like, Brett, maybe the Hitman character, how he described, was kind of a stickler. Yeah. Like, Austin's character was down to get down and dirty with the bad guys. And again, to bring up the Brian and Vinny things on The Observer, uh, they're going through the retrospectives of this era where I'm at right now, and they and at the end of the day, it is just their opinions, but they state what Brett did was, he took his opinions and how he really felt, and he did speak the truth. Uh, in his heel promos, but he was a whiny dick about it. So even though he was right, it made the people boo him. Yeah. Brett says it was unprecedented to be a heel in America, but be loved everywhere else. Which, well, that's what made it exciting. He said his goal was turn the American. He said his goal was to turn the American fans into the bad guys. Uh, He cuts a babyface promo in Canada. He thanks them for letting him be their hero. He says, In Canada, we take care of the sick and the old. We have health care. We have gun control. I'm howling as I'm Oh, damn, dude, we totally, like, skipped through. I know you mentioned Brett was, like, you know, cutting a promo in America, basically trash-talking him. Yeah. But also he gets, like, you know, saying people cheering Austin, and he's like, you guys are cheering Austin. He just attacked me and broke my leg. That's right. I'm like, bro, the story was, like, the broken leg story. I'm like, sitting here, like, didn't Brett do something shitty on Austin, and Austin was just getting revenge on Brett? Yes, because I forget what match it was after, but he attacked Austin after they had had a match uh, yeah after they had a match and then he's just telling the fans how dare you cheer this man he just attacked me just out of nowhere for no reason and then he says canada isn't riddled with racism oh yeah oh god well, which that is incorrect yeah that's well yeah it's and okay. then we see brett having to sit through a promo by the patriot del wilkes oh yeah and then brett beats his ass while the national anthem is playing 97 was pretty fun time with uh brett versus austin it was really good if there was the it what, was a really good feud if there was the what if what if we like what happened if we did get that third Brett and Austin match. Fuck, they may, have, they may have gone 60 minutes, like how Brett and Sean did. Yeah, we never got the third one out of them. No. We've only got the two. We got the SummerSlam, and then we got the WrestleMania. We never got Fuck, the third. And this is before, like, you know, this is before... Uh, I believe this is before Austin gets the spine injury from uh, from Owen too. That and is a SummerSlam. That's a SummerSlam, yeah. And Austin was such a still. I mean, he is a good wrestler in general, even after. But he was still such a good wrestler. He knew still how to do a lot of his technical stuff. It was awesome. Oh, he had more moves. Well, he. he it's not so much he had more moves. He could do. You know what I mean. <laughs> We see, we see Brett say that if the U.S. was a toilet bowl and you were to give the country an enema, the hose would go right here in Pittsburgh. They were in Canada cutting a promo, but now they're in Pittsburgh. So then we see, by the way, he does point out he didn't want to say that. He says he was fed a lot. A lot of his heel lines, he says he was fed. I'm not saying I don't believe him, 
But anytime he said anything disparaging about America or its fans, he does point out that while he was pissed that Austin was getting cheered a bit, he was no, fed a lot the of those funny, lines. No, the funny thing, he's talking about he's getting fed of like those lines and where he says the line, Americans will do anything to screw you. We see a camera close up on Vince McMahon. McMahon. I'm yeah. like, oh my fucking God, this documentary. <laughs> When he said that line, now we see our. Well, I think see, they're expecting whoever's watching this doc to know about the screw job. It's been a couple of years. It was like a year and a quarter removed. They probably had to re-edit this movie a few times. A little bit. It's so then, so then we see some fans who I'm just gonna say this. Cringy ass, patriotic, good old boy wrestling fans. First, they're chanting for Undertaker to kill Canada. It's like, we hope the taker to die. He's able to kill Canada and kill Bret Hart. I'm and like, so they can rest you? in Pete. I never said I wanted him to kill anybody. I just said I wanted him to light Randy. I just said I wanted him to light Randy Orton on fire. That sounds like murder. Because Randy Orton lit him on fire. They had a casket match. Then he gets Taker in the casket, punches a hole in it with an axe, and then lights the shit on fire. I think you want uh, Randy Orton's death. <laughs> Listen, Orton, Orton, and Orton was one of Taker's best feuds. Okay. Anyway. Uh, so and then they all start chanting USA after they again because it's funny want to point out they wanted the Undertaker to kill Canada. <laughs> the camera goes to this one dude. I who, want Canada to rest in peace. So I want to sound like a cringy ass fan. Camera goes to this one dude who looks absolutely dumb with these marks. Like, He's got a Canadian shirt and flag. Camera guy asks, "So like, why the Canada rep?" And he's like. I'm going to paraphrase what he said, but he basically said, these American fans are too sh- are too patriotic. Shit is whack, bro. Brett never did anything wrong. He was just thankful to his country. He's given us years of his life wrestling for them. He won titles, and they turned against him for no reason. That dude is woke. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, he's a Brett sympathizer. That's the thing. See, that's what I'm saying. There were fans who didn't like Austin at the time, and I know that sounds dumb, because of course not. Everyone's oh, yeah. going to like every this wrestler. This is 97, but not when 98. You talk, but when you talk about Stone Cold Steve Austin... You bring him up anywhere. Everybody loves the guy. But yeah. there was a lot of people. No, this is 97. Yeah, it was We're a minority, not... but there was a lot of people resisting Austin. Yeah, people go like, wait, what are you talking about? People didn't like Austin? You Austin saw... No, 97, it was still a split half Wait and till half. 98. Like, literally 98. 97, it's still split. What makes 97 exciting is that with the split. Yeah. With people liking Brett and then also liking Austin. That's a, it was like a clashing of generations almost. Yeah, it was some exciting Transitional Because you don't know what's going to happen. So then there's a fat party going on. There's you could people almost say there was a legit Shades of Grey going on. Yeah, there was. It was actually unintentionally awesome storytelling. Oh. This is actually a period of the attitude era I'd like to watch sometime. Not for the show, but just on my own. If there's something, yes, I would like to watch WWF 97 if i have the choice i would watch wf 97 and then i would also try to watch wcw 2000 see that's the thing about those are the only things that attitude era i would actually bother going back watching that's the thing about wcw is that when people talk about it it's like it's the spectacle trash fire dumpster show but wwf because we always mention when wwe brings up attitude era or references them they only really bring up a few things from like a bit from 98 and then some things scattered throughout 99 and 2000 yes but it's only a few things there's so much that either does get talked about doesn't know so this this how to dare stuff i don't know it's fascinating so then a bunch of people are talking oh do we get this one guy that's straight out of heavy metal parking lot where he's like (laughs) yeah man canada's a bunch of wussies and i don't like that punk rock shit i'm here for some judas breeze hey 
That's basically what he said. Well, we he, got some guy that's like that I can summarize it as this. The Bret Hart fans feel that he's genuine and not a douchebag and think Stone Cold American fans are loud assholes with no values. Meanwhile, Stone Cold Steve Austin fans are just like, y'all a bunch of pussies. Yeah, you got, yeah, you literally got these like, I, I don't like these loud fans. And then you guys got the next guys that are at Daytona going, Bull! Hey, <laughs> let me see your butthole! Bull! That's literally it. Hey, oh, let's drink beer out of the shoe. America, woo, fuck yeah. Fuck Canada. This is the USA, era. USA. This is the era that people really say WWE needs to bring back. <laughs> so Brett talks about sad children. <laughs> Brett talks about every once in a while, a child will come up to him that is sad well, and I wishes that he would be a hero again. <laughs> oh, God. Makes him regret going bad. Okay, say what you're going to say. I, I had just, to bring up Brett talking to sad children. I know. Bring up talking to sad children. I know you brought up it's a fat party. There was a Car- Caribbean Congo line going. Yeah, there's some dudes banging drums. And you had a lady that sit there. It's like, Brett stole shows that he has yeah. morals and he inspired me to go back to school for graphic design. I'm like, fucking 97? Yeah. Holy shit. I don't know if you mentioned that. I didn't, actually. I forgot. And then Brett hopes that he didn't destroy his relationship of his fans after this heel run. <laughs> Talking to about the sad children. About the sad children. I'm like, you know what? That is actual genuine concern. Yeah. But there's a little bit part that of That is it. one reason why Cena said he was hesitant to turn heel. Yes. Hogan, didn't, well, Hogan was nervous too, but he did turn heel. Yeah. Like, Hogan, you can say, was successful. Brett, hard to say. I'm going to be honest, and again, just going off what Brian and Vinny say, because, you know, you, you know, I'm very love and hate on and off of the Observer, but I do, at the core of it, respect their opinions. And just going by them, this, this heel, Brett, is actually is one of the best things on the show. Like, genuinely, he's apparently a really just great character. Yeah, but he feels that he hopes, yeah, as I said, he has worries that he felt like he's destroyed his relationship to America and yeah. their fans who were once loyal to him if this heel run was to end. we And you know what's funny? Like, he brings that up later, and I'm thinking to myself, wrestling fans are so easy. All he would have needed to have done in a different world was just go away for a while and then bro, make an unexpected return at the Royal Rumble, have- and everyone would have loved him. We didn't have the fucking big show around this time but there is fucking 20 fucking turn all right but hey you know what again i think back then people took their turns a little bit more seriously hey again brian and Vinny putting over big show he's he knows how to be a really good face he knows how to be a really good heel so we cut to new jersey Shawn michaels is talking about how he's going to be the special guest referee for taker and hearts match at i think it's uh summerslam or something. It's SummerSlam. It's the one with yeah. the chair shot to Undertaker. Yeah, yeah. Which I always thought was the real kicking point off as the Attitude Era or one of them. But realistically, when I was younger and didn't know as much. But if you played, what was it? The like, was it uh, WWE 2K11? The one with like, uh, yeah. with like CM Punk on the cover. Yeah, which like also was like, all right, play the story mode showcase of the Attitude Era. Which was actually a fun story mode. And which they feel like the birth of the Attitude Era was the end of this match. Yeah. With a Sean hitting Taker with the that only That did make me feel happy when I played that because I was like, yes. But either way, like obviously, Brett. Have you seen also, the match? Because it actually was pretty good I'm, minus the finish. I'm sure yeah, the match is awesome. It's one of those matches that reminds people, you know what? Undertaker can wrestle. Well, like actual wrestling. I know he can wrestle. Oh, yeah. You know, some also, people, when you people know, think of Undertaker, they think he's all gimmick. But Mark Calloway knows how to wrestle. Bro, Undertaker got fucking huge because he kept on having super matches at WrestleMania. Yeah. That was like what made him. 
next level. Like, don't get me wrong. It was his wrestling, not the fucking gimmick. Like, don't get me wrong. He would have gone down in history as one of WrestleMania, as one of uh, WWE and wrestling's greatest. Bro, those two back-to-back matches with Shawn Michaels, I'm not going to say that saved his career, but it elevated him to a new fucking level. Yep. So then, yeah, he's talking to... um, Pat Patterson Pat is talking to Brett. He's asking him, what's going on? And Pat's like, well, what do you know? And he's like, about Shawn Michaels being the special guest referee? He's like, well, I just know he's a heel. And then Pat's just like, hmm. And Brett thinks that Shawn is going to take Brett. Shawn is going to try to take Brett's heat. Because, like, Brett is technically the biggest, like, heel at the time period. At the time. I'm, the, I'm sure the main focus. Mm-hmm. But maybe if uh, Shawn, like... Also, I think, yeah, Brett also gets the title off taker from here, too. But if Sean takes the heat, then, like, Sean might be the biggest heel. Yeah. I think that's the thing about Brett. He gets complained that he isn't going to be the main center focus. If he ain't the big, if he ain't the main hero, then hopefully he's the main bad guy. I did kind of notice that. Like, the documentary. There's a little bit there. I'm like, okay, you're being. The documentary plays it off in a way that he's more concerned with losing his place, like, with the fans and his place in the company. But when you say it out loud like that, it almost kind of sounds like maybe he was a little concernicus about was, losing the center of attention spot. He was losing the center of attention. Maybe he was losing being on top of the card. There was a little bit, I think. And honestly, that is He doesn't outright say it, but come on. There's a little bit right there. I'm like. And listen. And listen. Sean's going to take all my heat. I'm like. And from what? And listen. You're going to go walk away with the title. You're still going to be a bad guy. But I'm like, oh, but are you going to be the top bad guy? And listen. It, and, and when it comes to the screw job, that's another thing, like I said earlier, it all just comes down to a lot of things. It also comes down to his opinions. It's just like, don't get me wrong. I genuinely believe that out of everybody in that whole schmoz, that Bret Hart is clearly the victim in it. But again, depending on who you well, trust and who the, you don't. When we get to the Montreal Everyone has a different account. And, you know, two hey, su- we are here at SummerSlam 97 yeah. right now. As I said, we also hear Vince with a great commentary line. She's like, no, I think it might have been King. Where King's going like, yeah, Sean's ego's so big, he has his own zip code. Yeah, he's like, Sean's ego's so big, he has his own zip code, McMahon. And then we see Sean is he's going to be the special guest referee, but he doesn't have those shorts. Nope. That was by what they might rip. Oh, no, that would have taken Brett's heat. If he, yeah. If he had the shorts. I think Brett might have like gone as like, you don't wear, just like, don't wear those fucking shorts. I'll fucking punch you out, Sean. So Taker and Brett have their match and then real intense music is playing as they fight. Yeah. With like war chants. Like I said, this shit reminded me of the Black Hawk Down Well, obviously eventually it gets to the chair shot. Yeah. And, he and then comes, we see Pritchard, a young Bruce Pritchard in the back going, oh shit. <laughs> and then it was just like. A nice sell, Bruce. And then, like, yeah, we see freaking, like, Brett makes the pin with a reluctant shot as Shaw's like, that chair shot was meant for Brett because fuck you, Brett. And then Brett takes off his, th- this soft ass ballad plays as Brett takes off his wrestling gear. Like, we're, it's like we're at the sad Grammy song part of the Disney movie. He poses for pictures. He works out. He works out and he works out some more. And I'm like, what the fuck? Is this tough enough? Yeah, we see him. He's working out a gym. He has a workout buddy and his buddy just sits there and is like, yeah, you know, Brett's looking good. I could see him wrestling for 10 more years. Oof. And Brett says, feel more like I'm a lifer in prison just wandering the yard. I just have the nicest cell. I can't wait to get out. That's the real test. Like Shawshank. And listen, 
say whatever you want about Brett. It is pretty sad to watch the love he has for wrestling just slowly die in this man's eyes. Oh my god, that is for sure. You're seeing his love for wrestling die, and it's all or, Stone Cold's fault, or his freaking his way of life is dying yeah. in front of his eyes. Because what the fuck else has he done? Brett's talking about how he's on the road a lot left his wife with the dirty work. He says he hasn't been the best husband. And that may be true, but before he could finish that thought, we cut to him and his kids playing a WWF video game with a PlayStation. I'm like, you know what? Maybe he was a shitty husband, but it sounds like he was a pretty dope dad. He's trying. They, they ask his wife if she's excited to have him uh, hang it up and uh, stay home. She looks like she wants to say no. Julie Hart, she looks like she wants to say no. She says she's been waiting him to retire since he was 25. And keep in mind, now he's 40. Yep. She thinks... was waiting for him to say... He said he was going to retire when he was 25, but... Yeah. She thinks he'll be involved with it somehow. And then the guy asks her, uh, asking the questions, asks her, you're sick of it, aren't you? Talking about wrestling. She thinks for a bit. There's some silence. And then she just says, I think it's time to be normal. I'm like, wow, that's a real, like, you know, touching, you know, that's provoke, that's provocative, you know, uh, it doesn't get normal. <laughs> it gets worse for me. But then immediately after she says that, do you know what happens next in the documentary? Don't, don't. You just hear, you just hear, are you ready? I'm like, oh, fuck me. Here comes DX. And DX is the worst fucking people. We see text saying how WWF is losing the war. So Vince is going to take the company in a new direction. And that new direction is impartially D-Generation X. The original incarnation of China, Triple H, Shawn Michaels, and Rick Rude. Who was there for like a couple weeks. Why did they not include Rick Rude in the DX Hall of Fame? Like, I get it. I get it. But like... Road Dog and Billy Gunn don't show up until another like year or two. Yeah, but they were there in DX longer. Rick Rude was literally there for like maybe a month. I think I maybe heard that. Less. I think I heard that Sean and Triple H didn't want Rick Rude in the stable, but they put him with them. Whatever. Whatever. So either way, Brett hates DX. <laughs> if he thought he hated Austin, he really hates DX. Like this, like I'm sure Sean becomes next level annoying. He thinks that. Well, yeah. Now he's got. DX breathes second life into into Sean. Brett thinks WWF has become smut TV. Yep. And then Brett comes home. He says, Vince told him he wants out of their 20-year deal. Oh, you, oh, you totally like, missed the part where we also see uh, like Brett's kid, Blade, is playing with Sean. Oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm just like, yo... Where Bret Hart, I totally imagine. Dude, Blade is just the homie for all the boys back there. I just imagine like Bret Hart is just with Julie talking mad shit on, on Shawn Michaels, but then Blade just sneaks away to go hang out with Shawn Michaels. Yeah. Like Shawn Michaels. They're, like, they're like, like the Lars Ulrich and Dave Mustaine of wrestling. Like as a kid, I'm sure like kicking, kicking in and playing, dicking around with Shawn Michaels seems like fun Oh, bro, shit. I wouldn't care how much my dad hated him. I'd go hang out with Shawn Michaels. Are you kidding? But yeah, then Bret gets news that Vince wants out of their 20 year yeah, contract. Background on that. Vince McMahon assigned Brett to a 20-year deal. We uh, mentioned it earlier, but <laughs> the issue was at this time period because he felt pressured with Brett, and Brett's like, hey, they're offering me something higher, and then it's like, okay, I can give you this, and Brett's like, okay, I could do that. And Brett was actually one of the, was definitely highest paid man at that time. Yeah. He was getting paid uh, a million, let's say uh, 1.5 million a year. Yeah. Sean was second in being paid uh, 750,000 a year. That's a fat gap. Yes, there was a fat gap, and obviously, uh, Shawn Michaels, a uh, very complaining bitch, mm-hmm. was uh, mm-hmm. definitely bitching about that. But either way, Vince didn't really have the money for that. And at that yeah. time period, he's like, dude, I cannot 
honor this contract. Brett, but uh, there's the issue though. Yeah. When he canceled that contract, and obviously Brett's like, well, I guess I'll talk to WCW. But then Vince McMahon started doing, he had the idea, I was like, all right, instead of doing the four or five paper, the five pay-per-views a year, let's start doing monthly in-your-house shows. Mm-hmm. Those become successful, and then he has enough money to be able to pay Brett, but after he canceled Brett, Brett gets their contract, their relationship gets waned. And their communication lowers down. Yes. It becomes a very awkward situation. It's a very, very complicated domino effect. Like Montreal, like Vince McMahon could have afforded Bret Hart to stay, but the environment and their communication and a relationship definitely waned at the time. Plus also Sean was a fucking asshole. Yeah. Like like I love Shawn Michaels. He's a lot of people's favorite of all time, but it can't be forgotten how much of a dick he was. Oh, no. 97 Shawn is the fucking worst human being on the planet. Vince says that they're in financial peril. Quick to need to point out, Julie and Brett don't believe that. Then we hear Vince McMahon in a voiceover saying he feels sorry that he kept Brett. People were saying, keep him, keep him. And he got such a high bid from WCW, Brett did from his bartering, that he listened to the people and he's sorry that he did. I spent a good five minutes trying to figure out what the hell that meant. Uh, then Brett... But basically, what I got is that Vince felt like he was guilted into keeping Brett with the money he did not feel like he had. Like, here's the thing. Business was not good at this time period. No, it was awful. Like, here's the thing. WWF business was in the they red. They literally almost died. Yes, in 97. Like, they were losing the wrestling war to WCW in 97. The ratings... They were still, like, their house shows were okay. It's literally, once they did the In Your House pay-per-view, were they able to bounce back? Yeah. Then Brett on and another And then, like, day. obviously a huge contract like Brett would have been an easy as, like, okay, we yeah. can't pay this guy. And then the next day or another day, I assume, Brett gets off the phone with Vince again. He says, uh, Vince says, no one wants him more than him in the company, but he can't compete with Turner's money. Brett says he needs time to think and is going to call Eric. And then he asks if they can shut the cameras off for a while. Yes. And it's funny when he asks this, the camera is like paused on Brett and then it like just slowly slumps down. Like it's looking at Brett and it's just like, oh, okay. No. Sorry, Mr. Hart. Brett says he called up Vince as old footage of Vin- of Brett pushing Vince down in a cages plane. And he's telling Vince, convince me to stay. I don't care about the money at this point. Just, just make a commitment to me. Like literally, yeah. We see Brett. He's laying in his ring at home. He's contemplating life. Supposedly he called Bischoff and Bischoff told Brett, what will it take for you to sign with us? <laughs> and he's like, yeah. hangs up. Then Brett tells Vince, can you please convince me to stay? And then Vince asks, what do you want? Yeah, he said that he had no ideas. And Brett what he says- wants, it like Vince asks what he wants to do with the Hitman character. Or at least he asks what he wants. And then Brett also contemplates, what can I do with the Hitman character? And it's here that Brett says a horrible feeling settles inside him. In his opinion, from his perspective, he went from being the number one good guy, now a bad guy, but now Which Sean, is the, like number one bad guy. But now Sean is super over with this DX thing. Now he's the good guy. And Brett No, he <clears throat> I thought he said Sean was the biggest I'm, bad guy. Sorry, sorry, Sean Sean's the bad guy. But Hart had spent so much time shit talking America and its fans, he feels there's no way he could go babyface. He says he's in limbo, he says. Purgatory. Yeah. He's stuck with nothing. Nothing. He feels Vince McMahon sabotaged his career by making him say all those uh, anti-American fan things. Now, listen, we're in the year 2022. We know how the stuff works pretty good. Ish. But back then in 97, I'm not saying 
I'm not going to say he's not being overdramatic a little bit, but from his perspective, he'd been in the business so long, he knew it like he did. I'm just saying, I do believe there was reasonable concern to think maybe my career sabotaged just because to him, just because of how real it was to him. You know, I don't know. Do, do you see what I mean? Do you think that maybe back then there was a reason to believe? Because it was a similar thing like Hogan. Here's the, thing, here's the thing. We've seen life go on. We've seen all these old characters that have done these things and they go back just fine. Now, yeah. Brett, I don't think he would have been at the top of the card. No. He was like the top, like, he was like the top. He was trying to say he's not the top bad guy anymore. He's not the top this. And it's like, I guess he's just worried he's now lost his spot. Well, that's what I was going to And gonna... he's worried he might be just another guy in the Hitman character. It's just like, that's what dud. I was going to bring up to you next. Do you think another idea? Do you think Brett was just deathly afraid of the mid card? I don't know. There's I feel like, like it's a little bit of everything almost. It's like literally the only thing I felt like it's like, well, why don't you just then just chill in the fucking spot? Like people still like Brett. He yeah. was a good like bad guy. Merch seller, popular, got pops, had good matches. He would have been fine. Yes. If actually, anything, honestly, I think he would have actually thrived in the Attitude Era. Yes. If anything, if he like stayed it out. But Could you imagine if we had his rela- kind of wrestling But then? we felt his relationship has waned with Vince McMahon and he felt like his character is now dead in the water mm-hmm. and he doesn't know what to do. Also, him backing out of the 20 year contract. There's yeah. like three things. On, those are three <laughs> big things that I'm sure would wane a relationship with someone. Yeah. I have a feeling you wouldn't be too stoked on your boss like that. No. Oh, no, hey, no. my raise is you're cutting back on my raise. Yeah. Okay. No, no, no. And trust trust me, like, I am firmly on Brett's side. And then you're sitting there like, wait, what about my position that I've worked hard on it? Wait, is this just where I'm at? I've been doing this and now I felt like. I've been sabotaged this. Bro, that's literally how I feel about my job, though. Yeah. I'm just saying, there's just like, Brett feels like he's just not a good spot. Where does he go? Does he now go with bigger money or does he stay loyal? But he feels like his relationship with Vince is Wayne. Mm-hmm. We then cut to Brett in a pink ass room in his house. Like, seriously, yep. you guys, this room is pink. He's talking about how sad he is it's come to this because he just sent the fax to Vince McMahon officially ending his career. He said, No, he 14, sent the fax to WCW. WCW, yeah. 14 years gone in 20 seconds. Yep. This is sad, but so surreal because we grew up in a world where people, some, because he's so bummed about, it shows us anyway. This is what he tells us. He's so bummed to leave WWE. So sad to leave Vince McMahon. 14 years is a long fucking time. But nowadays, some people can't, could at least, for a long time, couldn't wait to get out of WWE. It's hilarious. And then, yeah, I know, different company. So now we're four weeks out of Brett leaving WWF, which means we're about four weeks out from the screw job. Brett says he's his leaving is a secret. Uh, yes and no. It's supposed Brett's to be. Brett's contract was done at the end of the year. Right. That's right. No, I remember from the death of WCW. His contract was up at the end of the year, but he was supposed to start in WCW in December, I think. Yes. Yes. So, um, and where was I? Oh, yeah. So, this is all. So, Brett's talking about how his release is going to be a secret. But at the same time, and I'm kind of realizing how sus this is in interviews and stuff with like social media, with like social medias and stuff. Social, social media. Media. Just television. With media. With, with television yeah, media. media. He's talking full on about how he doesn't like the product now and doesn't like the creative. Yeah, it's just smut. And then we also see highlight shots of like a sable and a fucking thong showing her booty butts. Which I'm not saying he's wrong or whatever, but and I then just also we re- see the fucking feud with the DOA versus the Nation of Domination. Which I'm on right now with the Brian May retrospective. And you got, I'm going to tell you all right now, especially anyone that wants Attitude Era back. 
It was literally a race war. They were marketing it as a race war. Yeah, dumb. <laughs> in WWF. And it wasn't good. And this is in the 90s, too. Yeah. LA riots aren't like that far away. So it was, You mean far off from Far it. off. Yeah. So it's really just... It's kind of tasteless. And they kept bringing up OJ Simpson every week for a while. And they kept having Ken Shamrock trying to call out Mike Tyson. That's the era we need back, you guys. Yeah, no. That stuff sucked. Yeah. But Brett... <laughs> And can Brett in Canada versus America was awesome. That was awesome. Yeah, but we don't need this race. This is all backdropped by a uh, talk show guy talking about. It, and he says, and this was Vince McMahon's response. And it cuts to we at the WWF think that you, the audience, are quite frankly tired of having your intelligence salted. I'm like, oh, shit, it's the cure for the common show promo. That's what that was called. And so. Uh, and so this interviewer is talking to a panel of people about this and who the fuck should show up but Dave Meltzer. Yeah, he like I'm like, oh shit, Dave Meltzer's in the fucking documentary. Hell yeah. I popped for the melts. Yeah, but they're literally these panel of dudes like, well, yeah, television. It's like, yeah, it's like, hey, let's show men beating women. Yeah, let's show Meltzer racism. Said. Let's have stripper matches over goofy diaper matches. And then one guy says, but as a fan, it's more exciting because I feel like I, you know, I feel like the show's not treating me like a baby with people in diaper matches. And Meltzer with his one track mind is like, so instead of a diaper match, now it's a stripper match. I have no idea how Meltzer has kids. Like, I swear, he only thinks about wrestling. Maybe the two hours of day he has free time, he's just a super horn dog because he's got like four kids. Yes. So Brett mentions that when he went public with his distaste for the new creative, Vince leaked how he was leaving for money. And honestly, I felt bad for him, but I'm thinking about it saying it out loud. That's kind of lame on Brett. Like, even if it's really how he felt and, you know, whether or not, whatever. But, like, he's trying to tell Vince, hey, man, I really love the company. I don't want to leave you. And he's trying to work this out amicably. But then he's going on TV and he's trash talking the product. Yes. That doesn't look good on Vince. Well, either way. And then Brett then says Vince supposedly leaked it, leaked out that Brett is leaving. For money, specifically. Yeah. So now Brett's getting chances you sold out from the crowd. So yeah, Brett isn't stoked. The volt, the, uh, yeah. the volatile crowd is wow. not good for his mental health. Hey, let me tell you uh, how. Like, um, did I uh, say that there that the relationship between uh, Bret Hart and Vince McMahon definitely waned? Yes, we are definitely seeing the waning of the relationship. The relationship is just all is all but deep sixth at this point. Oh, dude, it's fu- it's like next level fucked. So we see a ride along. Get this crew, Brett with British Bulldog and Honky Tonkman. Oh, it's Honky baby. <laughs> He's, they're talking about how, and it's Shake mostly that old role. It's mostly Honky leading this talk, but he's talking about how shit's a miserable work environment right now. And Brett like, says, shit's a, "Shit's a miserable work environment." And Brett says he's really not a fan of this shoot style that they've been doing recently. Which I, they don't talk about him at all. But Russo's definitely got his hand in, in creative by now. Yes. So then Brett, hey, we're talking about Honky Man and like Honky Tonk Man. This is a man that's like he will do the minimal for the most. One of my favorite Brian of anything is talking about how he used to work at their friend Tim Flowers promotion. And literally Honky Tonk Man wouldn't bump for his own finisher. Yeah. Like when he did his finisher on people, he would just kind of throw you down. Yeah, I was like, Honky ain't gonna bump. No, it's so funny. Then supposedly one time he took like a scoop, like just a scoop slam, and he literally just said, What are you doing, kid? You think it's WrestleMania or something? Yeah, it's just like, Oh, I'm sorry. Are we doing too much? 
Yes. Is, it, is, a, is a suplex too much of a clinic for you? Yes, for uh, for honky, baby. <laughs> then Brett tells us how Vince tells him how he needs to lose at Montreal. He Because his logic is, can't have you showing up on WCW TV with the belt, Star Fox. Yeah. So Brett's like, dude, you said I could leave however I wanted. Reasonable creative control. I am yeah. not losing in Montreal. And then his wife, <laughs> his wife asks, well... Are you worried about something happening regardless? Brett says, well, I'll have to worry about the referee tomorrow because I talked to Earl. Earl Hebner, for those unaware. Oh, my, oh my God. Earl we see swore a black, on his kids. Yeah, we see a black and white shot with like Earl right next to Brett. I'm like, oh, my Trying God. Trying to demonize that guy. Oh, my God. Here's the thing. Earl just I said, feel like I have a little more sympathy for Brett than you do. I'm not saying that's bad, but just like it's really funny in retrospect. They tried to make Earl Hebner and Vince McMahon look like the devil. Oh, yeah. I, well, we, I've seen Earl in the dark side of the ring. He doesn't. He came off like he wasn't stoked on this. Yeah. But uh, the guy that was ordering him pays his It bills. was his boss. Yes. And, and, and yeah. So Brett's talking to Stu. Stu's pretty steamed. Be, uh, sorry, Brett's pretty steamed because he's only ever missed two shows. And Vince seems he really eager like, to get rid of him. He's like eager to get rid of him. He's like, I've worked for 14 <clears throat> years and I've only missed two shows. And you see Stu going. And Brett's whole thing is, look, man, I've been a loyal company, man. All I want to do is not lose in Canada. Brett, that's all I ask. I don't want to lose to Sean in Canada. I'm like, well, that's reasonable. And then we but see, obviously, in context, we do have the Laundry Blaze moment where, okay, yeah, now, that has Vince scared to death. Yes. Now, obviously, that was just more of a dumb thing on Vince. Like he had a women's division. Yeah. But then he kind of just totally forgot about it. And then her contract just like came up and they didn't renew her because they totally forgot about her. And it's like, oh wait, what? Yeah, yeah. Oh, you're done. Oh, oh well. And then she's like, I'm your champion. And my contract's up. And they totally just like, eh, whatever, your contract's done. And she went on WCW. was like, yeah, so I just have their belt. So, yoink, into the trash. And I'm just like, oh, my God. So, obviously, Vince is like, I don't want my world champion hopping over. And it's like, no, I think country like contract-wise, Brett still had to be like with the WWF. He could not just show up to WCW the next day. Yeah, exactly. Didn't like wasn't that in the freaking death of WCW? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was literally the thing. And you know what they did with the Lundra Blaze after that? Nothing. But obviously, well, maybe Vince was going like, well, if he says he doesn't want to drop the title tonight, what well, maybe what what makes to stop him from dropping the title the next night? Yeah, exactly. It's like you can if you want to say that's the logic, sure. But have you met Bret Hart? So then we see Bret Hart fans with a megaphone screaming their support for him at an autograph signing. Yep. This is where I point out Bret has a lot of female fans. Mm-hmm. And here we are right where we began. Bret walking down a hotel hallway. Yeah, that depressive walk. Tomorrow's Mont- even gods tomorrow- still have to go walk down that dark freaking way trying to figure out where the fuck's my room. Tomorrow is Montreal. And he says, after he says the bit about wanting to blow his brains out, he says, and these are exact words, he says he feels like they want to rape him. Yes. And he will not allow himself to be raped. He's very distraught. He looks like he wants to cry, but he has a look of like he's out like, of tears to cry because he's so tired. Yeah, he's tired. He says he is like he's not gonna allow him to rape him, and literally, camera sits just is just pointing at him, and he sit there and he's silent for a good minute. Mm-hmm. He's in deep in thought, and there's a lot going on in his mind. 
we see the talent and staff talking to uh, to Julie. They're at the show now, talking about how much they'll miss them. Yeah, we see Sonny and Julie talking. I'm like, oh god, really? Oh yeah. I thought like Julie was gonna punch out Sonny. The Sunny Days thing. Julie, because thing that Sunny Days legit fucked up the uh, Brett and uh, Julie's relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they stayed married a for a while. Ad- it was stayed married for a while after that, but, but it, it really did. It, yeah, it waned on their relationship. Yeah, I don't think Brett was going through a good time right here. New. No. No. So this is a big deal for them because, you know, his kids grew up with a lot of these people and Julie's like, yeah, sure, we'll stay in touch with a few of these people by phone, but we'll never see a lot of these people again. I think this is Blade, but one of Brett's boys is really sad. Yeah, it's Blade. He's Blade literally, we saw Blade playing with the DOA and then he's just sitting in the bathroom going like, yeah, God, I guess I might not really see all my friends again. Yeah. Like, dude, Blade looks like he has the fucking time of his life hanging out with these fucking giant dudes just like freaking chucking him around when he's like. Oh my god, I'm gonna miss my friends. Yeah. I'm like, you can make new friends. Shut the fuck up. Not professional wrestlers. What are you talking about? Well, I guess if Brett's going to WCW, but whatever. So Brett and Vince go into a room and talk. And so so the text tells us how Brett is wearing a wire, right? And it says Brett's wearing a wire. I bring this to attention because one, we can hear him talking to Vince. And two, my mom comes in right at that point and she says she sees Brett is wearing a wire. And so she says, Oh no, not more Brett Michaels. <laughs> and I said, no mother, it's Brett Hart. And she goes, mm-hmm, I don't know. Are you sure James doesn't have a man crush on him? <laughs> and I, so I laugh. She's out of the room, but I just laugh and I'm like, yeah, whatever. Then it's quiet for a bit. And then I hear her go, does he? I'm like, no, <laughs> she didn't believe me. Eh, I don't care. That's <laughs> funny radio. <laughs> so Brett tells Vince he feels betrayed. Vince says he feels betrayed too. But this is what this is really about, Vince says, is Ted Turner coming between them. They talk about what they want to do. Brett is at a point right now where he's like, bro, I don't even have to beat Sean tonight. There can be a schmoz running. I don't care. Just, just don't, I don't want to lose in Montreal. Motherfucker. He doesn't say that, but yeah. that's the vibe. And so, and so keep it. So they leave the office. They, they leave the conversation pretty much at that. You know, Vince is always like, oh, I appreciate it, you and stuff. Yeah. But Brett is under the impression there is going to be a run in. We see footage of everyone getting ready. We see Stu Hart watching at home. Uh, Popeye Hart, the sailor man. Yep. Everyone looking tense and nervous. Sean comes out as he is humping the Canadian flag. Yep. And someone is calling him a homophobic slur on a sign. Brett comes out. They have their match and it's going fine. Like literally it's like they're just sitting there and then freaking like the match. Dude, the match just looks like an intense brawl. There's a funny shot where Brett has Sean in a hold. And Sean goes, oh, God, no. That was funny. I'm like, I was enjoying watching the highlights of Brett being the shit out of Sean. Yeah. It's pretty entertaining. And then eventually- it almost made me want to watch the match. But I'm like, I don't want to watch the match. Nah. But then uh, then we hear um, audio of Patterson talking to Brett as they're trying to go over the finish of the match. Or Brett's talking to somebody. Yeah. And he's like, okay, the idea is uh, because it, this happens right as I believe they're going off the ropes and they hit Earl Hebner. The idea is Earl Hebner is going to stay down. Michaels is going to get Sean. <clears throat> Sean. Sean is going to get Hart in a, in a sharpshooter. But um, Brett's going to reverse. And then that's when a run is going to happen by, I'm pretty sure, Triple H. Sure. Um, but what happens is Earl gets up, hearts in the hold, and then out of nowhere, now Grant, we know what actually happened, yes. but this is the way the documentary puts it. Earl just out of nowhere rings the bell, like heart submitted. And it's like, wait, what? Yeah. And then you see Brett work out of the hold. Yeah. Because that was the spot. And then 
Brett's like, and I can hear someone say, ring the bell. Ring the fucking bell. They didn't say that part. But yeah, that is the iconic no, line. I thought he did say, ring the fucking no, bell. No, he did say that. But that's not what Brett said. The iconic line is him going, ring the bell. Ring the fucking bell. But all Brett said was that Ben said, ring the bell. We know it's ring the fucking bell. I think Brett said he said he heard ring the fucking bell. Well, I don't remember him saying fucking. No, Brett's a good guy. He didn't say a single super bad word in this movie. Are you fucking talking about? The he next... didn't cuss that bad. Oh, dude, the next 10 minutes, he's fucking cussing. Well, now he is. Oh, yeah, he's fucking living. But yeah, so Brett gets screwed, you guys. And so everyone's pissed and sad. They're going to the back. Yes, yeah, so like, no, like we see the shot. We see like, yeah. We see uh, Brett get screwed because Earl, like, ring the bell. And then, like, you see Sean pop out of the ring. They see a little commotion. And then you see Sean is being escorted with, like, Huntor. Yeah. That Earl Hebner has already ran off to the hills. Yeah, because it's it's and just, just like the story says. He ring he calls for the bell to be ring, And he just books it the fuck out of there. And then you just see Sean. He's off and out of there. And then you just see, like, Brett in the ring going, what the fuck? And, and then, then we the, get, yeah. And then you just hear the whole crowd going, bullshit. Bullshit. And then we see the iconic shot of him spitting on Vince. Yes. We see him spit on Vince. And then a moment later, we see him just tearing apart the monitor. It's just fucking rampaging ringside. Just going, what the fuck? So then he runs to the back. He's trying to confront Vince. But in Brett's own words, the piece of shit locked himself in the, his office. The, the piece of shit locked him in the like office. Like, they screw me, the, them lousy bastards. Yeah, so he calls them the lousy bastards. Lousy bastards, they screwed me. So then eventually Brett makes his way into uh, the locker room to change blades with him. And yeah. Sean's in right behind him. Yeah, you well, you don't see Sean, but you hear Sean. You oh. see him walk in, but you don't see him talk to Brett. And Brett moves his head over, and he's like, Sean, you weren't in on that? And then this is exactly how Sean says it. <laughs> I had no fucking idea. Like, honest to God, I don't. It's like, yeah, no idea. God is no. my fucking witness. God is my fucking witness. My hands are clean on this one. I had no idea. Obviously, in the Dark Side of Ring, you just had Brett going, oh, he's all full of shit. Yeah, I wrote in my notes. My phone died, by the way. Yeah. But I remember my notes. I wrote in my notes. Damn, my, dude, my, really? Yeah. My, my dude, ex- fucking phone just died that quick? Yeah. You should have well, put it on a battery saver mode. How do I do that? Well, anyway, <laughs> but I remember when I wrote in my notes because I'm like, I'm like, Brett knows that's bullshit. I know that's bullshit. I'm pretty sure you know that's bullshit. No. That that Sean wasn't that Sean was in fact in on it. So I had no idea. I had no fucking idea. And then outside, we just see Julie just reprimanding Hunter. Dude, that's the best part. Uh, one of the best parts is she is scolding Triple H. She's gone about how like you had a part in this. I know you did. I know you did. I know and you then, I know you did. And then Triple like, H is just like, I swear to God, I didn't. And then she says, Yeah, well, swear to God all you want. One of the one of these days she says god's gonna get you back and then she says god will like one of these days god will strike you down and and gets back and he's like and then he and then she says well remember this hunter what goes around comes around and she says that when we are watching this in the year 2022 after triple h just had a fucking heart attack yep (laughs) can't wrestle anymore and until very recently all creative control was taking away from him no, obviously now. It's obviously like, he has it back now because WWE is a, well, they're not a new company, but they're they're officially in a new era now. Oh, God. Yeah. Vince is <laughs> gone. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I don't know if they would risk uh, Vince Russoing it in, from 2012 to 14 where they're secretly exchanging creative uh, emails. But yeah, he's gone. But yeah, so that's just, ah, dude, 97 in WWF is 
insane. So, yes. Yeah. Uh, so, right before that, actually, I forgot. Vince was just about to go into the locker room. Like, no. Like, and Brett then we talks cut about, to Julie. Yeah, no. What? What? You, just you go. Sorry. Vince was about to walk into the locker room after Sean swears he had no fucking idea. And then we see uh, Julie uh, reprimanding Hunter. And then we cut back into the locker room. And Brett looks really proud of himself. There, someone who's holding the camera is like, what happened to Vince? And then Brett just kind of gets this little smirk and he goes... He uh, he, he ran in? into my fist. Yeah, he ran into my fist. I thought you talk about Vince ran into his locker room. Vince is trying to talk to him, and he's like, "Oh, I just like drilled Vince." Yeah, because I think he said this on Dark Side of the Ring, but he's like, "If you come in here, I'm punching you." No, he's literally he's like, "I'm going to take a shower, Vince, and if yeah. I still see you after I'm done with my shower, I'm going to punch you." And Vince stayed there. Vince, Vince was- took it like a man. <laughs> Oh, yeah, and then we see footage of a stumbling Vince as he was knocked Dude, the clear out. Vince looked like he just got hit by a car. He looked like he just woke up from a good nap. <laughs> he looked like he just... He got hit by a car or he woke up from a good nap. <laughs> or he just ate shit on his and bicycle. You, and you, I think it's Pritchard. You can hear someone whispering to Vince, don't look at the camera, don't look at the camera. Because you could barely see it. You have to kind yeah. of brighten the screen a bit. He's got a fat fucking shiner. Oh, yeah. And then after that, we then cut to Brett uh, just sat in his ring yes and then of course we see the iconic closing statement from Vince on the of how I have no sympathy for Bret Hart I have no sympathy for Bret blah, Hart blah 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 Bret screwed Bret Bret Hart Bret Hart screwed Bret Hart and the thing is you look in Vince McMahon's eye that man believes that like here's the thing about that promo too Vince was trying to come off as a baby face like no yes I always forget that but um, but watching the shows or hearing about it, whatever, Vince McMahon really thought that, well, one, he generally thought he was the good guy, but he thought the fans were going to side with him. But you know, and I know you know this, Montreal Screwjob gave us the Mr. McMahon character that eventually Stone Cold Steve Austin would fight. Yes. It's so bananas. But yeah, and then really the last closing moments of this film. Well, we basically, like, <clears throat> obviously we see the, like, the closing statement of Bret Hart, screw Bret Hart. Then we see Bret, as he sit there, he says, my life as a professional wrestler, as the Hitman character, has been shot dead. Yeah, his exact words were, Bret Hart, you know, Bret Hart goes home, he's fine. But oh, the, the Hitman, Hitman, they murdered him. They murdered him. Yeah, no, he felt like, yeah, they murdered the Hitman, and he felt like, I don't know, maybe I've gotten too much power. I was in there too yeah, long. Yeah, he thought he contract was too powerful and that he might have been able in a position to put more power back into the individual performer. Uh, maybe Vince was scared of that. Maybe it was a power play. He does have the line. He think he believes Vince McMahon sees wrestlers as circus animals. Yes. And then just one day, once they're done, take them out back and then shoot them dead. Mm-hmm. At least that's what Angry Brett says. Yeah. We get like also some quote from Hamlet. Do you remember the quote? Yeah, no, it was um I forget who it was talking to, but they were talking about about Brett and stuff and how um uh how Brett kept his integrity because Brett says he never sold out, he never lost his integrity whatever. And he said it's like Hamlet because Hamlet goes into the world, he has this naive view and he re- and Hamlet realizes that there's basically there's no true good in the world or whatever, but he has his personal integrity. Yeah. Basically. And that's what he believes he It's like, yeah, like a good guy in a world of just serpents. And then if the documentary didn't want you to hate Vince McMahon enough, it shows Brett watching WWF Raw, where DX is like, and ladies and gentlemen, Brett Hart, and it's a little person coming out yeah, with Brett's so, music and gear. Yep. 
and you hear Triple H, because of course it's Triple H that says this. Wow, bro, we knew you were short on character, but this is something else. I'm like, God, I used to hate Triple H so much. I used to love Triple H as a kid, then I hated him. Now I'm half and half. And then Brett just looks on with a very sad smirk. And then, ironically, the end of the movie here might be one of the most saddest things if you know your wrestling history. Because Brett is walking with Stu Hart across a grassy field on someone's house, probably at Stu's house. Yes. And then there's text that reads, Brett Hart is currently wrestling in WCW. Uh. The end doesn't say the end, but the end. It's and literally it, credits roll. We, yeah. The last shot, we just see Brett and Stu. They're just sad, and they're just walking across the lawn. I didn't see the text part that, oh, he's wrestling WCW. I'm like, not yeah. much longer. He gets another fucking concussion, and his doctor's like, yeah, you're done for the rest of your life. Stop. I can sum up this documentary in three words. Poor Brett Heart. Now, I will say, though, hearing your perspective on the documentary, and I know we've gone along, but I do actually kind of want to like, have a like neat discussion about it. Like the way you were coming at it kind of made me look at it a little differently. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm aware enough that Brett is not 100 percent the victim in all this. But this documentary is putting forth that like this is a the story is this is a. Uh, a good company man and every man, man of the people, whatever. Yes. He gets screwed by the corporate bigwigs where all he did was work hard for them. Um, and, but that you the, and that is the solid truth. Yeah. But you kind of came in with the idea that like maybe Brett was also just worried of not being the center of attention and losing his spot. And it's just kind of interesting. That's the thing that even though I've heard about it so much and I'm almost tired of hearing about it. That's always the interesting thing about Montreal. It's like, and the Bret Hart, Sean, Vince, weird thing. It's like, there's so many angles going in about it. Mm -hmm. And it's just the only person that's never really talked on it. And Brett said this in an interview with Inside the Ropes recently. One of the only people that never talked about this shit has has been Undertaker, really. And he's like the last, like, because he says, you know, Undertaker was actually there for quite a decent amount of this, like, and was privy on meetings because he was basically, you know, he was Vince's like boy, you know? Yeah. So it's just, it's, it's fascinating to see all the alternative views. But the question I want to pose to you. Yeah, shoot. Do you think Brett is like totally just like this, you know, is he really, do you think he's really, do you think um, Brett is like totally this dude that just completely got screwed for no good reason? Or do you think maybe there was something else that, uh, he got, uh, I feel like he got screwed for no good reason, but the environment definitely was a wane and weird, a weird one. Cause I, cause I did mention, you know, the documentary mentions how he believes with times changing and someone like Stone Cold basically being treated like that, a baby face. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That I was like, for sure. Do you think that just comes down to a generational thing? Maybe. Well, as far as wrestling goes? A little bit, yes. Okay. Here's the thing. It's like, because obviously, like, once you got the ultimate villain in Vince McMahon. Yeah. The Mr. McMahon character. Stone Cold was the ultimate hero. Yeah. Sometimes a hero even bigger than what Bret Hart could be. Oh, for sure. Now, I don't know if Bret Hart ever had the villain of, like, freaking, of, like, the Mr. McMahon character. But, dude, with, like, obviously, you know what helped got them was the feud of Stone Cold and Mr. McMahon. Brett had some really interesting feuds in the 90s, but he didn't have a Mr. Ma- I mean, no one's really had a Mr. McMahon. No one has the Stone Cold Mr. McMahon But he feud. did. He he just had, like, cool angles, cool opponents, good matches, and uh, cool title runs, basically. Yes. 
but I don't know. It's it's just really it's just interesting the way I look at it because I also see a guy that was worried about losing his spot because he was essentially the main character for a while. Yeah, like after Hulk Hogan, after Hulk Hogan, and then Kevin Nash fucked off. He was pretty much the main. His time had come. Yeah, he was always like mid card, upper mid card, and you know one of the first times he won the one of the times he won the WWF title. What happens? Uh, he he loses the title once at nine yeah. to Yokozuna, and then Hogan the just comes out. You yeah, know? yeah. There's all that, and they try to do that on the Hogan, but literally the fans were behind Brett. Yeah, the fans made Brett their champion. Exactly. But time goes on. You can't be champion forever. No, of course. Brett can't be the favorite forever, and that's why Stone Cold came in. And that's the thing. I almost wonder if like he really was just. Being like, hey, I'm not the main character anymore. That sucks. And then he again. There's a little bit of that where it's like, there's a little bit. It's like, what? Well, why wouldn't? Why would you trip on just like? It's okay. Your time has come. You can now trickle down the card. Maybe one day you can shoot right back up. But you, there's peaks and valleys in careers. You know, and going to back to the inside the ropes interview, he always mentions how Eric Bischoff and like Nash, they always talk about. Oh, when uh, Bret Hart came over to WCW, he wasn't the same guy. You know, he'd lost a lot of passion and all that oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. After that abuse and fucking. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, Jesus. Sorry. Got a notification. That scared the shit out of us. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Yeah, no. I, I'm going to say I really like this documentary. This was interesting. Stu Hart's a scary man. Bret Hart's a uh, very unfortunate man. And Vince man. Well, he became a very rich man. Vince McMahon is a polarizing figure. But you know, at the end of the day, I think Vince McMahon would be like, hey, love him or hate him, people talk about him. Yep. No one's going to forget Vince McMahon. But yeah, I, I really oh, like this. Oh, that's talk- a fact. <laughs> we'll forget Luke. We'll forget I- Luke. Like, I barely remember him. He did nothing notable. Well, remember Bret Hart and Sean. But yeah, yes. I like to talk to Mary. Glad we watched it. Yeah, how would you? How did you like overall? Like, uh, if I was gonna like, great, as a, as a documentary, as a wrestling watched. documentary, uh, for, if, if we're gonna like do it like our song reviews, scale it one to ten, I would give this a solid eight for sure. Yes, that's a good eight because it, it has everything you want in a documentary. It elicits emotion from you, but it also provides you with some really interesting insight. But it also captures a very iconic, moment a very in time. specific moment in time. Too. Yes, this is. Right when the attitude era is about to pop off, it's not that. It's literally the Montreal screw job. Yeah, yeah. The most like one of the most like did that because obviously that helped you know business for the WWE. Yeah. That was like a big news piece. There's three spots where people are really like the attitude era sp- started. The the chair shot I said Montreal screw job or you know that promo they brought where Vince was like, uh, "We think you're having your intelligence insulted." If you go on WWE's YouTube channel. They have that video up there, and it's literally labeled Vince McMahon ushers in the Attitude Era, which that's like the formal start, I guess. Mm -hmm. So, I know, really awesome. It's an awesome documentary, and definitely because it's obviously not hindsight. Now, what do we want to watch next week? Well, how do well do you want to do another documentary? There's part of me that kind of wants to watch the A and E Bret Hart documentary if we can find it. I was I was actually kind of intri- I was kind of intrigued on doing the Sheik's documentary. The Sheik? Yeah. Yeah, we can watch Iron Sheik. Fuck it. I like, either, I either one, really. Mm. I think they didn't they recently do a, an A and E thing on um didn't they recently do one on like Sean or something, I thought? Cause because WWE's doing A and E documentaries. Yes, again. there was on Sean there was one on Sean, but I hear the Bret Hart one was really good. I'd be down to do either or. Flip a coin if you want. I don't care. I'll watch either. Well, I would feel like more like the Sheiky baby. Eh, eh, Well, we can always watch Sheik later. So, eh. 
I feel like continuing Bret Hart. I'm kind of curious because this is a Bret Hart. He's at 40. Yeah. This is post Montreal Screwjob. I don't know much life <clears throat> other than WCW and then on from Bret Hart. From what I can understand, he's chilled, he stewed, he steamed, and then he had a stroke. Yes. And then he became Stu Hart. <laughs> as a uh, bad joke as it was. <laughs> All right, listeners, this was definitely a long episode. What are we at? We're about to hit two hours and 45 minutes. Oh, shit. Okay. Well, listeners, thank you for listening. I hope you all have a good one. Adios. Adios.